does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that last night, all three of us, in some way, shape, or form, were represented in terms of those that were following and or in attendance for the Pacers' season-opening victory, correct? That is correct. So, Jimmy, you were a late addition, is that I, right? I was. I was I was a late addition, got an opportunity to go ahead to opening night. I was like, yes, yeah, sign me up, let's go. And I thought, and Eddie, of course, you were producing for the Pacers radio network, Listen, I don't know how good Washington is, and we I don't know how good the Pacers are. I, I mean, I have always said and always believed that you literally have to go about 20 games before you truly can determine who a team is. There are so many things that come into it. There's obviously ebb and flows of rotation and injuries and matchups and et cetera, et cetera. And there are probably a lot of teams – that would love to open up with the Washington Wizards at home with the commissioner of the NBA there for opening night. And Adam Silver was in attendance. I thought it was interesting that he had to sit behind Michael Andretti. <laughs> he was in row two, right? <laughs> yes. Like you would think Adam Silver would be like midcourt on the floor, right? Which is kind of cool. Give him credit. He had a security around him. But that was, you know, Jimmy, it, they got off to kind of a slow start, funny enough. And then there was something that happened last night in that game that I thought really sparked things. Now, you were there, and there is no right or wrong answer here. So would you like to guess what, to me, it was that things all of a sudden really took off? There was something that happened in the game, and I looked up, and it was about six and a half minutes, I think. I'd have to look. I think it was six and a half minutes left in the first quarter. Eddie is nodding his head like he knows what I'm talking I'll, about. I'll, I'll, I will, much like the Pacers did, in terms of, I think, more assists than they had in any game all season last year, I will dish the ball over to Eddie Garrison. Uh, they made a substitution, brought in Andrew Nimhard, and his on-ball presence forced a turnover right when he got onto the uh, onto the court, and then the offense kind of was able to flow through him and Tyrese a little bit, and the defense picked up a little bit too. Okay, I would, uh, again, was no that, wrong answer. That's that, not the one I was looking for, but I think it might have been in the same group was that after and eddie because i I do Uh, remember that was that after the when they brought in like their first bench subs everything kind of died like like the first the first it was very brief there was a very brief moment before they brought in nemhard where Halliburton wasn't out there and and things looked like a little bit murky that was when washington kind of went on their one only run of the game and then things stabilized i thought the real spark came when buddy healed came on the floor I would agree with that. Buddy Heald came in. He hit two threes within like a handful of possessions, and they were off and running. And then before you knew it, it wasn't a game. If you look at the box score, you'd go, oh, man, they blew Washington out. 143 points. Insane. 143 points. I, I, I mean, there were records set last night. Like, that That was the highest opening game uh, scoring performance by a team since 1990. Correct. Mm-hmm. And only like – I mean, one of I thought I saw like it was one of the fifth highest scoring games in Pacers NBA history, if I'm not mistaken. But the thing about it is, it's not like in games like that. Oftentimes, 
you look and you say, okay, they they jumped out and they were off and running and it was like watching Loyola Marymount where they just they were up 15, then they're up 30, then they're up 40. You know, it wasn't necessarily like that. No. Like you're sitting there shooting the breeze, chatting with people, and you look up and you're like, oh, they're up nine now. Oh, they're up 18. Like it was it was kind of, I hate to say slow and methodical. It wasn't like there was some huge barrage where it came. But the most impressive thing to me last night about the Indiana Pacers, who, by the way, we now know, Eddie, I don't know if you have the sounder or not, but there has been breaking news from over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse from earlier today. Rick Carlisle has agreed to a coaching extension, a contract extension to stay with the Pacers. So he is going to be, I mean, I don't think there's anything surprising there. Uh, That is clearly the long-term guy. And I remember when Carlisle first got here, the question was like, well, is he, he's clearly lobbying. He's going to try to be a front office guy and run the franchise. And I think now we know that that was, that was a false narrative or a false assumption. I think that the Pacers are very happy with Kevin Pritchard running things. Chad Buchanan as the general manager, and and I think Pritchard has really kind of taken a step back and, and allowed Buchanan more of like coming in here in studio, for example, and just being out in front of it, and that's allowed Pritchard to kind of go a little bit more into the wings, which is, I think, by his choice, which is cool. And then Carlisle, of course, the guy that can mold together whatever they bring him, and I think that so far it has worked. Now, we shall see what happens with other things moving forward, contracts, etc. But right now, the cohesiveness they have, so so much of franchise or professional sports success involves chemistry or camaraderie amongst those in the front office. And I do think they have it right now. I don't think there's any dissension amongst anybody. And it's worked out well, so it's natural that Carlisle would add years onto, still not sure exactly how many years was added onto his contract, but add years to his contract as the Pacers coach. But they last night were so balanced, I think, is the thing that jumps out at you with the Pacers. And I thought about this as I was watching the game because there have been teams, and we've seen this in particular in college basketball, but you always have teams that if they are, it's like, oh, man, that team is, Kentucky is a prime example. If you look at the Kentucky team that came here to the Final Four and lost to Wisconsin that everybody thought was going to go 40-0. Kentucky had printed the t-shirts. 40-0, right? And that team was absolutely loaded. Loaded. That's when they did the blue and white platoon system. And you had that, that roster was incredible that, that John Calipari had. And they were head and shoulders above basically everybody in college basketball. But then the one thing that is like kind of the easy sports talk narrative presented itself as a possibility to be talked about some 10 plus years later and that is the following when you have teams like that that have that kind of depth of talent in the rare events that Kentucky would get into close games then you wondered okay who is the takeover guy who is the guy that that like I think Kentucky in that situation against Wisconsin as the game went on, they weren't used to being in that situation and their their minutes had been so balanced out and their critical shots had been so spread out throughout the course of the year that they all were kind of like, what's happening here? And, and am I the one that's supposed to take over or is, is he going to take over? Or is he? With the Pacers last night, and you look at, I mean, you're talking about six guys in double figures. 
Clearly, though, the blessing is this, Jimmy, and that is that the Pacers, everyone knows who that guy is. If they get into a situation where they've got a game where they've got multiple, I mean, you know, Neesmith playing 23 minutes and just doing like dirty work stuff and and Nimhard playing 22 minutes and doing the same and hitting at a high, actually they had what? I take that back, they had eight guys in double figures last night, right? And, and you know, Nimhard and Heald and, and getting shots as they come to them and hitting them. But we all know when the game's on the line, we know where the ball's going, right? And that's the real advantage of this team is you have the depth of guys that can carry you through different stretches of the game. But when the game comes down to it, there is no denying in anybody's eyes where the ball is going and who is going to then facilitate for them. And that's the real blessing for the team. But I thought the biggest ovation of the night, Jimmy, who got the biggest ovation last night? Biggest pop in terms of starting lineups or throughout that game? Nope. When they were when when the crowd noticed them and saw that they were about to check in the game, who got the biggest ovation of the night? Played six minutes, went two or two from the floor. TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell's indeed correct. Only played six minutes. And Ben Shepard, who I thought we'd see more of, played six minutes. It's one game, I realize. Now, if there was a if there was a critique of last night, if you were to find something to be negative about, and I'm not trying to be negative, Nancy, and it's one game, so it's kind of irrelevant, but I actually took a picture. I should. I don't know if I should post. I, I don't want to be too negative here. I, I have I, one, but I didn't know if I that took was a picture of Jarris Walker last night. In his, yep. Here it is right here. Do you want to see the picture I took? Of, yes, I don't know please. if this will. Can this show up on the, on the stream? <laughs> Does that show up on the stream? Okay, that, that that's a live photo of Jarris Walker last night in his first NBA uh, game. What Would you like to de- describe for people the photo I took of Jarris Walker last if night? If I please, was Jimmy? to accurately describe it using all the radio education of my life, Jake, I would say it looks like it's a deer in headlights. That is correct, yes, a deer in the headlights. He, he looked, he airballed like a four-foot bunny. <laughs> he was 0 for 5 from the floor. He missed his only three-point attempt. He did have three rebounds, uh, no, four total rebounds and a steal. He'll be fine. Yeah. Be He'll dope. be fine, but man, you could tell. I felt bad for him. It was like the game was moving way faster than he was. 0 for 5 from the floor last night for Jairus Walker. The real negative that I had, and I didn't know if we were doing this today or not, because again, it's a Pacers win. They looked, in terms of offensively, everything you could have hoped for. You asked how good the Wizards are. They they might win 20 games this year. They'll probably be bottoms of the league. Like, they are not a good team. So the only concern that I have, but it's it's the concern is pushed down because I think this might be how the Pacers look this year. I would have liked to have seen more defensively. There were times where they clamped down, particularly second and third quarters, able to hold Washington under 30, and then you kind of throw the fourth quarter out because at least half of that was spent with garbage time. But I think their mentality, Jake, might be this year, we are going to be game by game marginally better defensively than we were a year ago, but we have the offense just going to outscore you. Like we're, we 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 have weapons. We're quick. Sure, we're we're gonna win a shootout against you. And they listen. They do have the one thing that they have that they didn't a year ago is they have a designated bulldog defender. Yeah, I mean Bruce Brown. It's funny. Last night I went to the game with Stephen Holder, and I called Bruce Brown Bruce Bowen like seven times. <laughs> and and I will do that on this show. I, let, let me give an open disclaimer. I'm going to look right here at those that are in the break room on YouTube watching us live here on Quarry and Company on this Thursday. I would like to, my name is Jake Quarry, and I host this radio program three hours a day, 15 hours a week on 93.5107.5 The Fan. It is with advanced apology and confession 
that I am going to not retroactively, but proactively apologize for the times this year where I mistakenly called Bruce Brown, Bruce Bowen, because they're the same player. I'm not sure that they're not actually the same guy that didn't just switch jerseys and find a fountain of youth to go back like 10 years ago. But Bruce Bowen, who was a San Antonio Spur, most notably, was known as a really good and aggressive defender that could hit open shots if necessary, but you didn't have to orchestrate plays through them, but would give you an occasional 20 to 22 point night, but mostly be a really good solid defender for you and was in the like mid six foot range in terms of his size. Now, if that doesn't describe Bruce Brown, I don't know what does. So I hereby apologize in the future for when I call Bruce Brown, Bruce Bowen, at least 20 times over the course of this basketball season. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Do you want me to step in and say, do you mean Kevin? That way we can kind of just kill two birds one stone. <laughs> That's there. right, exactly. I mean, I'm telling you. I'm going to be I'm going to confuse that like 20 times. But that said, you're right. I mean, that's that is a difference and there's many differences, but that is the difference and, and from Jarris the roster Walker a year ago. hopefully can be a, that kind of a guy as well. Correct. But also, a solid performance. Did anybody else did you feel the tension? Like just the brief fear first possession of the game where Tyrese Halliburton slips? He got up quickly, but like it, there was a there was a concern, like very briefly in the crowd. Of, I was okay, mostly what's up? I was mostly concerned about the fact that I know that you had bet most of your mortgage on the <laughs> Obi Toppin first basket. I will still but. live by that was where the ball was going to end up, and then Toppin hits the or sorry Halliburton hits the deck, and then the Wizards wind up scoring, and the bet died. But that's okay. I'm still here. But their first basket for the Pacers wasn't even an Obi Toppin. No, it was slam, not. Right? We got there eventually, and now, I and I conceded that. They ran that play, I think, in the preseason finale. So it was probably like once it was on in the repertoire already for the Pacers, that's probably not how it was going to happen. But I had to commit should, to the. You vision. should get a hold of DraftKings and see what they say about yeah, it. Yeah, for the, the, the close for me. By the way, we've got a big show lined up for you today. Uh, Paul Corsaro is going to join us here coming up in just about 15 minutes. Uh, I always get confused and for some reason think this guy actually is an alma mater for both of you guys, right? Yes. A common yes. alma mater for both. Correct. Because he's a Ron Colley guy now coaching at UND, correct? Yes. yes. See how I did that? Well done. Uh, he's going to join us on the program in about 15 minutes. Then we're going to take our road trip down to Narlands. Colts getting ready for the Saints this weekend. We'll go to the Big Easy. We'll do that in the 1 o'clock hour. You guys ever been to New Orleans? Eddie? I have not. Jimmy? No. Cool city. You like gumbo? You like yats? Yes. Eddie? Can't say that. If I've been either, to so yats in a minute, but I do Oh, yeah, yeah. It. I've been to yats, yeah. So you like gumbo? You like jambalaya? You like crawfish? What do you like? I'm partial to the gumbo. Okay. I think gumbo, yeah. I was in New Orleans... Long time ago, I was covering the Rams. They were playing the Saints. They played the Saints at the in week 16 of the NFL season, back when it was 16 weeks. The Rams beat the Saints to get into the playoffs because the Rams had started out 6 and 0. They they finished 3 and 7, so they finished at 9 and 7 and but they needed to win in the final week of the season to secure a wild card and they did so. Then as the game was over, I can't remember what team it was beat somebody else that that allowed then New Orleans to backdoor into the playoffs as well. So New Orleans ends up getting into the playoffs while while we're there, like interviewing the Rams players, the word comes out, oh, the Saints are actually the other wildcard team now, and they rematched in New Orleans, which doesn't make sense. Actually, I guess the Maybe it was the Rams. That's what it was. The Rams maybe got got backdoored to come in, and so. But at any rate, the game was in New Orleans, so we just stayed in New Orleans for the week. So because the playoff game was going to be like on Saturday, and this was on Sunday, I will tell you, jambalaya, just Cajun food in general, fabulous. 
I love it, but after like day three, you're like, <laughs> eh, okay, because that's all they served at the Saints facility and everything else. And after a while, but um, New Orleans is great, great city. Saints and we haven't talked a lot about the Saints this year, so we're going to get a preview as to what the Colts are going to face. We'll do that on our Thursday road trip coming up at one in the one o'clock hour today, and the Matt Taylor voice of the Colts will join us later. Uh, Jimmy, I did notice, and and we like to be. We like for this show to be a professional radio broadcast, right? Like, we are radio professionals, right? Always. And we we have fun with, you know, the fact that the listeners are the company of this show, Unquarrying Company, and I love it. And, and, now, and I think it was, and I hope I'm going to get this right, I think it was Eddie and Tara. Eddie and Tara came up to me yesterday and said, we're in the company. Before the game, they walked up and said, and I hope I got the names right. I said, oh, I'll be sure to give you guys full credit. And then I might have messed up the name tags. But they know who they are, at least, uh, Eddie and Tara. And I think I got both names wrong. But they came up and said that they're in the company, and I very much appreciated it. There's an alternate world where it's Teddy and Era. You just looked at it wrong? <laughs> That's right. Uh, actually, Teddy and Era sounds like one of the um, rounds of like a Miss USA pageant or something. Jimmy, there's somebody in the YouTube chat. His name is Brady. He's asking you, where is your new hat? Yeah. So, also, Brady, uh, shout out to Brady because I did get a hat last night as well. Um, and he pointed out, hey, they're bringing some new hats back that they were going to put out on the shelves a week later. But I asked about them. They're putting them out now. And I was like, oh, man, thanks. Um, my hair doesn't cooperate very well with hats in show plus the headset so you don't have hair you have a brillo pad. Uh, i understand so i didn't i didn't break it out today but brady why i was kind of heartbroken last night is brady didn't hit me with the i'm part of the company i i, I appreciated <sighs> yeah. the hat which was t- tip of the cap to brady but i didn't get hit with the, i'm part of the company tip of the and cap i see what you did there exactly yeah but you did bring in something which we'll get to in a second but i want to say this speaking of hats yep i brought one in you did um in a 30-second moment of non-flippancy on this program, this is a beautiful L.L. Bean hat. This L.L. Bean hat was sent to us, sent to me, by Matthew, listener of the program, who has been a big supporter of this radio station, the programs of it, and Matthew works in Maine. Matthew listens and is a frequent caller to the JMV Takeover, as well as the different shows that we do here. Um, Matthew lives in... And I don't think it's Portland, Maine, but like in that vicinity. Um, but Matthew last night, you, you know, had had mentioned even prior to the events in Maine that, you know, this time of year is tough on a lot of people. The weather changes. It just the sun's not out as much. It's a challenge. It's tough. It's tough on me. It's tough on a lot of people just when, you know, you start to, to realize you're going into that long tunnel of winter, so to speak. And I know that people and Matthew has been very open. I commend that about the fact that that can be a challenge sometimes. And then you add on to that what must be an incredibly traumatic, scary, and obviously heavy period when you see your home area, as Maine is to Matthew, going through the tragedy that it went through yesterday and still is ongoing, uh, to my knowledge, in terms of the search for the perpetrator of a mass shooting in Maine yesterday. So Matthew sent me this L.L. Bean hat. So in, and I told Matthew, I said, look, man, you got to realize there are a ton of people in Indianapolis just through the social circles and through radio in, in general who feel like they know you. I was able to meet Matthew when Matthew came to the 500, but um, who feel like they know you and who who are actually for the mini marathon. Matthew was here and who care a great deal about you. So in tribute and in support, I'm wearing the L.L. Bean hat from Maine today it's awesome um but jimmy you brought in something speaking of support and and this is new to the program right we have a new member of the company is yes. that right we, we do have okay. a new member of the company 
Uh, it has previously just been in the in the halls of Urban <laughs> One. Okay. But shout out to Matt, the sign guy, That's the right. legend himself. That's right. This was a part of a, a Pacers pack from a year or two ago. I think after Pacers W's, maybe he stays in here all season. I'll leave that up to you as chairman of the board. The, the Pink Flamingo. I, I think part here's of the what company. we do. I think this is great. Now, let me see that if I can. This is... Um Get it on the camera here, and it says Pacers on the side. This is, you know, he, Matt's been doing the flamingo thing forever. Forever. Right? Matt's a native of Florida, lives down in Florida, and is a friend of the Simons, uh, which is why. So here's what I think we do. First off, we got to name him. Okay. Right. I, I think I'm going to go with. I'm just going to name him. Now, do we go with? Uh, do we go with Frank the flamingo or or Petey the pink flamingo? I, I think Ooh. I like Petey better. Right? I like Petey as well. Petey the Petey the Pacer Pink Flamingo. Yes. Right. Okay. So after each Pacers win, if we are doing a show, and the Pacers had won the night before, has to be the night before. Correct. Okay. If we're doing a show and they've won the night before, then then Petey the Pacers Pink Flamingo sits in here and joins us in studio. So do we just sit Petey here? Yeah, I think middle chair is fine. JMV won't be upset about that. I don't yeah. think. Um, and if it's a weekend where wow. they split, but does Petey show up on camera? When you go, when we go wide, he won't now. But when we take a wide he is shot, right now. There you go. If it's a weekend split, I think we just put him somewhere in the studio, like where well, viewers will only catch him a on a split. We do this. Nice. <laughs> that's that's Petey doing the splits, right? <laughs> but but now, do I? Here's the thing. I think I need to. I think I think Petey needs more air in order to stand up straight. Where's the little thing? Uh, it's on the. Yeah. There you go. Th- this is what. L- let me tell you something. I just found out today that I'm going to be doing a video for the American Heart Association. I should do one now for the uh, American Lung Association. You could co-opt it. You're right. Because you're about to see the power of these bad boys. Go ahead, Jimmy. Fill time. Absolutely. Jake is... Do you want me to do play-by-play on the Flamingo Toss, or do you want me to talk more with Eddie about last night? That feels like it might be dangerous. You guys can talk about the game. I would agree. Eddie, for me, again, like I mentioned, I feel like that... I didn't learn a ton other than Bruce Brown about where things are going to be defensively for this team through one game, very small sample size, but you can't deny what they're going to be able to do offensively on a nightly basis. No, you can't. I think uh, the addition of just just the sound of you just blowing up the flamingo that I hear in the background over there. Uh, Anyway, but yeah, Todd Byer staring at me through the studio. (laughs) <laughs> Todd, this is, Todd they, they told us the other day we had a meeting about this and they said we need more radio fun this is radio fun there we go uh to answer your question sure. yeah offensively i think obi toppin's gonna make a big difference because you could see them last night they just wanted to play a step faster than right. they did a season ago and you can see that i know obi only got 20 minutes which if you had to ask me leading up to the game that's kind of how i pictured it but i did not expect it to be in the fashion in which it came um so until jairus walker's up to speed and they feel comfortable rolling him out there nightly i'll i think ob Toppin will see about 25 ish minutes a game i also wonder and this will again be as the season unfolds did they just like the matchup for jalen smith for as many minutes as he got early on or is that the way the rotation is going to look throughout the early goings of the season. I think it more so had to do with just how he was playing last night. I yeah. mean, he came in immediately. Hand, had right? a, yeah, yeah. He, he immediately provided impact on the offense. He was rebounding. Um, and he did a nice job defensively whenever uh, he was put in pick and rolls, I thought. He did he did a solid job, much better than was last year. But like we've already said, it's only game one, yeah. 81 more to go. I thought, here's the thing. When it comes to the versatility at position, for example, Toppin, Smith, Jackson. Luxury, they are all three guys that you know can contribute. Detriment, if you were to pick one, nitpick, would be 
to an extent, they all kind of have the same level of skill set. Now, I realize that like a Rick Carlisle may or Chad Buchanan may strongly disagree with that and be more nuanced, but they are over, you know, they're very athletic and above the rim level players in terms of their area of effectiveness. Two of them more so maybe than Jalen Smith. But what I'm curious to know, and, you know, we'll find this out over the course of the year, is does the minute distribution amongst those three get determined based on the way they want to play in a particular game or based on the reaction of who it is they're playing against? So in other words, do you just push your chips in and say, here we are, this is us, come after us? Or do you say, yeah, we're going to wait and see who we're playing and then counter with the best of those three, that, but they kind of do similar things. You have enough depth at that position to get away with that if that's the path you choose, right? If you decide that you want to go ahead and look at matchup by matchup or kind of like Eddie mentioned, feel the hot hand with things, they all do things in terms of that role. Again, I know what you're trying to say, Jake, and I don't disagree with you. The same, like there's there's definitely differences in terms of their style play. Like Toppin's always been knocked for his ability on defense. And like, is he able to get just a tiny bit better this season with the Pacers? But you have that luxury with depth at that spot where you can afford to rotate guys in on a matchup basis if that's what you choose to do. By the way, when Todd Meyer was looking outside the window, was that his way of telling me to get back on the microphone and quit blowing up flamingos? If I was to guess in the four years I've known Todd and the stare like a horror movie we got from the uh, look from the glass. Yes, I would say that's what Do you that know was. why flamingos are pink? I've, I have heard the fact before, but no, I don't remember it off the top Eddie, of my head. Eddie, do you know why flamingos are pink? I do not. It is because they eat primarily shrimp and or other yes. like, shell, you know, fish. They have a red pigmentation things. within the Correct. And the food. way that they're, yes, the way that their body digests. Do you know why koalas sleep 23 and a half hours a day? Because they can't. No, I have no idea. That is true, too. Uh, because their their digestive system can only digest the leaves. Um, what is it, like bamboo le- or what kind of uh, eucalyptus leaves? They can only digest eucalyptus leaves, which have a natural oil, which is a sedative. But in addition to that, it's a low enough caloric intake that they don't intake enough calories to be able to give them the energy to do stuff more than basically go use the bathroom, come back up, and go back to bed. Which basically is what happens when you turn 50, right? <laughs> Uh, We're going to talk to Paul Corsaro. We're going to do it here in just a handful of minutes. And then I talked about the fact we're going to road trip today. So grab your combos, grab your Diet Mountain Dew, grab whatever it is that you take on the road. Because in the one o'clock hour, we're going to Narlands. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now here's the thing. Paul Corsaro, the head coach at the University of Indianapolis, who's going to take on Indiana in exhibition on Sunday at the Assembly Hall, 1 o'clock tip. And we're going to talk plenty about not only that matchup, but also the Hounds and the roster that he has. But I've got to begin by asking this, and it's been a while since it happened. But if I'm not mistaken, Coach, you guys played an exhibition all-star game in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, so 
a buddy of mine, we just got back from our annual road trip. Every year we fly somewhere and then we rent a car and we drive back. And we, we've kind of done it from every direction is the only problem now. So we're running out of options. Like next year we might just do 465 for like 20 laps uh-huh. and call it a day. Um, <laughs> and he actually mentioned, he's like, what about Nova Scotia? Let's fly to Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is like a, I mean, it's literally like a three-day drive. Um, it was Nova Scotia cool? Yeah, I, mean, I was going to ask you, man. That, that is a cool place, isn't it? It was really, really. No, I haven't been. That's what I'm saying. We're contemplating oh. it for next year. So, oh, I, th- I thought I thought you're saying you already done it. I apologize. No, no it is. A, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's really, really neat. It's beautiful. Um, you know, downtown Halifax has a lot of history. I I'd say it's like combining the feel of downtown Boston and Maine together. Like it's kind of got a little bit of both, and um, you know, really scenic, get on the water and all that kind of stuff. And I, I hear there's some really good golf up there too. Didn't get a chance to do that, so I would definitely say do it. Did you get a chance? And I'm curious, you know, Coach. Whenever teams do these kinds of trips, right? And you did. You were in Nova Scotia for I, I don't know what half a week, a week, something like that. You played three games seven, up there. Seven days. Three okay. games in seven days. Yep. You know, part of that is about learning where you guys are on the floor obviously but i would imagine that part of that too is like just like when companies have everybody like we're going to take wednesday a half day and we're all going to go to the escape room and whatever else and you know (laughs) all of a sudden you find yourself working with sally from accounting who you've never really talked to and you're working on a project together and you're like man she's pretty cool and like kind of the same (laughs) thing i mean isn't there an element of getting to know your guys or letting them get to know each other in a way that is different than x's and o's that's that's what's even more important is that you hit a spot you, you were spot on with that assessment you know we played three games but you know what was AAU style you know we got on the bus in our gear we really didn't do a scouting report we just kind of rolled out the balls and play and that was that was good but the team bonding the the the, the time that that guys got to spend with one another um, me getting to figure some of our new guys out you know we took everybody we took our our, our SID we took our, our, our strength and conditioning coach and his wife you know my wife came came all, all of our coaches significant others came on the trip so it was more of a, a team bonding family experience um, and then our point guard Josiah Tynes is from Nova Scotia so he got a chance to play some home games in front of his family which made it even more special head coach of UND Paul Casaro is our guest coach also on that trip I know how important for your program and UND as a whole whenever you guys can make an impact on communities you're going to do so you get an opportunity to stop by North Preston community largest black community in Nova Scotia highest concentration of African Canadians as well in all of Canada and you guys hosted a free kids clinic what was that like for your group and, and how cool was that part of the trip that, that that was a great way to kind of culminate everything you know it was the day after our last game and that's actually the community center that josiah the the player that i alluded to that he grew up at and you know he still has a lot of friends and families that you know that's where they get uh, their basketball in and you know when jo- josiah goes home in the summer that's where he works out so it was great for our team to you know give back it was good for people in Josiah's community to see what he's doing with his life because he's such a role model and to see the pride that community has in Josiah that's what I really took away from him I mean I'm really proud of uh, the the man that Josiah is and and you know I know his community is following his senior year again the U Indy Greyhounds going to be in Bloomington Paul Cursaro's our head their head coach chatting with us right now going to be in Bloomington to take on Indiana on Sunday coach in preparation for that game in an exhibition against Indiana how much of getting ready for that game is you looking at what Indiana has versus still trying to figure out what you have? 
you know, I think it's always more about us. You know, Indiana's Indiana. You know, they're always going to be uh, one of the best teams in the country. You know, it's one of the most storied programs in, in college basketball history. And they have some really good players. Now, the thing with them is, you know, they haven't played yet. You know, we don't have much film on them because they have a lot of new faces, too. Now, those new faces are extremely talented. They got some really, really good transfers. Uh, they got some good new guys coming in. And, you know, and, you know, Xavier Johnson's back. But, you know, we don't have a lot of footage of what this group of IU basketball looks like together on the court at the same time. So, yeah, we're going to go back and look at film and see what they've done in the past. But this is more about um, us doing us and being the best versions of you, Indy. I've always wondered – I've asked several coaches this question, and the answer is kind of very, Coach. So I'm curious your answer in terms of this matchup. When you're getting set for – and I, look, I know you want to you want to win a game. I mean, you're playing, you want to win. I get that. When, when you have an exhibition – and you're going against a program with which I'm assuming you've got some familiarity in terms of the staff with Mike Woodson in Indiana. Because it's an exhibition, is there any sort of conversation, understanding, or agreement between staffs of, hey, we really need to, I really need to find out what my, how my guys are going to respond to like a matchup zone? Can you run a little of that for five or eight minutes? And is there any sort of discussion at all in an exhibition of kind of asking the favor of each other of giving different looks to the other team that's more of a closed door scrimmage thing you know when you do a closed door scrimmage you know i think those conversations happen more often um in terms of hey i really like to see this can you do this now sometimes when it's an exhibition i've had plenty of these there's been some coaches that want to know like okay hey i'm not asking you to do this or that but can you give me an idea of what you what you plan to do so we're not caught by surprise. And then some coaches just decide, hey, let's just roll the balls out, tip it up like a normal game. So every coach handles it a little differently, but specifically asking, hey, I want to see this or this, that, can you try doing this for me? That's more of a closed-door scrimmage thing. You guys are going to open at home. It's, it's a while still. November 16th, Saginaw Valley is going to be your home opener. Tickets are just $10 down there in a great – great i love the arena in terms of nickerson hall down there on the und campus people that come out to watch you guys play this year your identity is going to be what style of play in terms of what you would most want to be identified as you know we're just going to be the team that plays plays the hardest and plays the toughest and plays does that for the longest you know i think we play 10 deep we got kids that you know, really play the right way and, and get after it defensively. We like to take our, our stops and get out and run and get easy transition baskets. So hopefully you see high-intensity defense that leads to a lot of dunks on fast break. And, you know, we have some really long athletic guys. And, you know, that's really what you're going to see is just, just effort, grit, toughness, and really pushing the pace on offense, uh, letting our defense spark our offense. Coach, a year ago, you guys go 26-5. and five. You're able to host your first postseason game in Nixon Hall since 1997. For you, in your coaching tenure, what did you learn about yourself this offseason, and how will the GLVC test your group this year? You know, in terms of learning about, you know, taking, taking last year and learning about myself is, you know, I thought I honestly did think in, in, in late January, early February, I, I thought we, were, we we had the argument that we were probably the best team in the country. Unfortunately, we weren't come come March, and that's when it matters. So I took a lot of, uh, and that wasn't our guys' fault. I'm going to take ownership in that. Our guys gave me everything. I, you know, me and my staff could have won it last year, and they did a great job. And you know, it's the head coach's job to try to make sure we're peaking at the right time and we just peaked about a month too soon so trying to come up with ways um, and and self-reflect on what I can do as the leader to make sure our guys are fresh 
and you know feeling good and mentally and physically right heading into postseason play that's been my emphasis because I want to peak in March and that's my main goal when you look at your roster right now coach I think it's interesting because I see when I look at the roster and part of this is just college basketball in general I mean you mentioned kind of the AAU nature of uh, you know the way that the influence that's had in college basketball I think you know kids aren't as they don't think as much about going away from home as they did like when I was in college, for example. It's just a different world. But when I look at your roster and where kids are coming from, to me, I see it as kind of a validation of the growth of you indie basketball over the last 20 years or so. Because instead of seeing just kids that are from like the south side of Indianapolis, man, you got kids. If you can play, you're going to find them, right? Oh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll go out of country. We'll go anywhere in, in the U.S. You know, we're going to recruit and, and bring in the best players possible. And with that, Again, I think I probably ask you this each year, but I'm always curious of it. Do you try to recruit based on a style you have in mind, or do you come up with a style based on how you've been able to recruit? You know, kind of both, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we kind of have a general idea of, of hey, the way we play, and you know, we we, re- we return everybody usually on the most part on a year by year basis. So when we return a core, they kind of already fit a certain style. So what we're then looking for is more, hey, positionally and then class balance. Like, okay, hey, do we have a lot of juniors and seniors? Maybe we need to go more freshmen and sophomores. Hey, we have a lot of freshmen and sophomores. Maybe we need to go more transfer heavy this year. So it's more then more of a, a class balance standpoint. It's more of a, hey, positional need standpoint. And they've got to fit in with what we already kind of have. Now, let's be honest. If we find a player that's just so unique and special like a unicorn, and we've had a few of those come in, we're going to take him and we're going to figure it out. And then it's on us to adjust accordingly and, and, and find a way to make that unique player fit with what we already do and that's where the adjusting comes in when you find a special player he is the head coach of UND basketball Paul Casaro the Greyhounds get underway with exhibition at IU on Sunday season starts next Friday or November 10th rather at Parkside in Owensboro Kentucky coach best of luck this year thank you as always for making the time and looking forward to catching up with you down the line as the season unfolds Guys, thanks for having me on. I do have one thing I got to say. We are selling alcohol at our home games this year, so Indianapolis fans come out and take part. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you. How about that? Woo! Go out. All right. Have a cold one. Watch some basketball, right? Again, the 16th is going to be the home opener, so we'll remind everybody and, and let them know about that before that rolls around. But down in Bloomington, taking on the Hoosiers Sunday, 1 o'clock for UND. Uh, Eddie, did you go to a lot of games at UND when you were there? I did because I would be on the call for a lot of those games. I was going to say, you probably oversaw, what, 50 of them over the course of your how many how many games did you call? Uh, that's a tough number because I would do both boys and women's or men's and women's. So I would say about fifty probably yeah. out of my. It's three a great. Years. I mean, it's a great field house, man. I yeah. love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I always love getting to play there in the summer, like that and Butler oh, yeah. basketball. Like UND summer camp was one of my favorite spots to get to play in Nickerson Hall and and be a part of that week was always a great time. I went to my last year there was Paul's first. I was going to say he's in year what now. Four? Four, yeah. Uh, I went to Taylor basketball camp. I mentioned that several times, which was also a really good camp. But um, get out and support the Hounds. Just 10 bucks, by the way, for tickets for you, Indy. We'll come back. We're going to go to New Orleans or Nolens. See, I said it right that time. Nolens. Todd got all over me. Nolens. Well you, go, you go down there and you ask people. I mean, you can enter, half the time you need subtitles with the accent. The Cajun accent's like... It's hard, man. It's hard sometimes to understand people. We're going to go down there in 45. More on the Pacers and the Colts next. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Pacers have made it official, announcing that they have signed Rick Carlisle to a contract extension. No huge surprise there. 63-year-old Rick Carlisle, and I believe he turned 63. Is it today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow he will turn. birthday. So he will turn 64 tomorrow? Yes. Do you think the NBA schedule makers were kind in that regard since they have the next two days off? Yeah, how about that? Open up and then take a couple days. Uh, They did not announce terms of the agreement, but the bottom line is after 13 years with the Mavs where he won an NBA title and, might I add, sent Mavericks championship rings to members of the executive level of the Indiana Pacers out of gratitude for the opportunity he was first afforded as an assistant coach here under Larry Bird and then later as head coach. Um, I think Carlisle has always kind of considered the Pacers or Indiana to be home. He's either built a home or moved into a new home here. So uh, this is home indeed and is going to be for a while. For Rick Carlisle, who you can hear each week, as a matter of fact, on the morning program, the wake-up call with Kevin and Andy right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers last night, pretty dominating fashion, 143 points. Just what did we say? The first since 1990 that a team has scored at least 143 points on opening night. Uh, You know, How much of that is because they were playing Washington? I don't know, but they were incredibly balanced. Kyle Kuzma is an interesting guy for the Wizards because there was rumor for a long time he's one of those guys that was kind of connected to Indiana acquisition rumors. I didn't ever believe. I remember a year ago saying, I don't believe for a New York second or a Washington second in this case that Kyle Kuzma was going to end up, that the Pacers had – interest in him I I just had heard from like from a scouting standpoint there were some questions about him Um, I mean skilled player don't get me wrong what you're saying about guys on teams 2025 guy as a star of a team like being a number one scoring option on a team that is Kyle Kuzma to a T a 2025 guy is my guy we went over Stephen Holder and I were doing this last night because Stephen went to the game with me and we're sitting there talking and I introduced him to my 2025 guy And he's like, now what is that exactly? And I said, a guy that is destined to average 20 a game on a 25-win team for his entire career. Jordan Poole? Jordan Poole is a 2025 guy. Well, Jordan Poole, though, at least played with Golden State, right? Yeah. But again, I'm talking about the Wizards have a collection of players, particularly Poole and Kuzma, that are great number two or number three options on a team. Kuzma probably more of a three, and they're trying to use them in roles that don't Here's the thing about Kuzma last night, okay? 25 minutes, 9 of 18 from the floor, 1 of 4 from three-point range, 25 points. Cool, right? Zero assists, two rebounds. So unless he's scoring, how is he helping you? That's your classic 2025 guy. Yep. Or in this case, he might be a 25-20 guy. Same yes. difference. Yes. So he we were sitting the there off. last night. Steven and I were just going back and forth. Do you ever play that game? In college, I mean, it's a drinking game, like categories where you go around the room and somebody mentions a category and you've got like three seconds to name something in that category. And if you can't think of it, then you got to take a drink. So, like, yeah, you know sure. I mean? Yeah. So 
last night, Steve and I weren't doing a drinking game, but we were doing named classic 2025 guys. Ricky Davis is my poster child for this. Larry Hughes was a classic 2025 guy, right? And sometimes the Pacers have had, there have been years where for the Pacers, you felt like you wanted to bite on a guy and overpay him because he's been a big scorer for you, but then you look at it and you go, but they're not any good. Now, Solomon Hill wasn't a 2025 guy, but he was a guy that on a average to slightly above average team late in the year had elevated minutes and elevated role, and so it enticed people into thinking that he needed to be given a ton of money and the Pacers were like, let's back off of that and let's let somebody else do it. And sure enough, I think it was Memphis. Was it Memphis or Toronto that signed him to a ton? Was it Memphis? I think so. And, and before long, you know, within like a year, they're like trying to unload that contract, right? But that is that is one of my favorite, like, when you watch the NBA, you can see certain guys that they are skilled. Kyle Kuzma is a skilled player. But he's not necessarily a player that that is doing anything to facilitate for the other people on the floor. Now, the the Pacers have a couple of guys that they're 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 trying to figure out and find out whether or not those are guys that were like was it the system that either limited them or showcased them or are they guys that can really blossom now with more opportunity and Obi Toppin and. Bruce Brown, I gave my disclaimer earlier that I'm going to call him Bruce Bowen erroneously 20 times this year, but those two guys, I think they're trying to figure out, Bruce Brown, they're pretty confident, is going to be, and I think the Pacers would tell you, they know they might have overpaid for him a little bit, because the market value for Bruce Brown was probably lower than the value he brings to the Pacers and what they need. And that's fine, Jimmy, right? Yes. And you saw it last night. I mean, he was a, he was a, Huge part of why they won last night, right? I mean, not 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 that. I mean, they won easily, but why they won that big? I mean, he was the leading scorer last night, and their efficiency in the way they shot the ball is what is the most impressive. I mean, Brown eight of eleven. You know, he didn't. He doesn't need a lot of shots to get those points. Jalen Smith, same way. Yeah, I mean, they took one hundred and seven shots, but it wasn't dominant to one or two guys. It was a volume of shots by a number of different pieces. I mean, like you would expect for any game, Halliburton's going to likely lead that category. I guess you could make an argument for maybe Buddy Heald or Bruce Brown, depending on where you're going, but 16 attempts for him, 9 for Heald, 9 for Nemhard. Do I expect it to be this spread out throughout the entire course of the year? No. Naturally, rotations are going to get trimmed as you get further and further into the season, but it was a... I don't hate to use the cliche, but it never felt like, hey, if we don't get player X the ball, we are not going to score offensively. It never felt like they needed to just go through one piece in terms of if he's not scoring, we are not going to put up points. A lot of it was, hey, if we get Tyrese Halliburton the ball, like you mentioned, Jake, that's a clear defined role they have. Good things are going to happen. Right. I mean, he had double-double and a very quiet almost double-double last night for him, 20 points, 11 assists, but you have multiple options, it would appear, that you can rely on to put points up at a high clip. 
and that's a again a major positive takeaway from last night. I think night. a part of this that we haven't talked about. Yeah, but we give a lot of credit to Bruce Brandon how he played. I thought Ben Matherin had a good game last night too. Like you look at the stat sheet, 18, five assists, four rebounds. But I think the important part to look at, he had those five assists, but he turned the ball over twice. And that's like the next part of his maturation, I think, is becoming a better passer to help the offense flow so the ball doesn't stick or get stuck and you get forced to force up a late shot in the shot clock. Because I didn't I didn't think last night there were any of those instances where Offensively, the Pacers were taking a shot late in the shot clock. They kept the ball moving, and everyone was getting their hands on they the basketball. They did do that for sure. Well. Yep. They did do that, and I, again, I thought, and I don't know whether this ultimately then facilitates for the shift and when he comes in or where he comes in. But I thought personally that Buddy healed. I, I did feel like Buddy healed. When he came off the bench and came in, because he did not start, he hit a three very early mm-hmm. within the first couple of possessions of when he came in, and that seemed to jumpstart things. They were a little stagnant. Indiana was. I mean, they were down five at the end of the first, right? They were a little stagnant there in that getting things going. You know, I mean, they scored 70 points in the second half. Um, well, 39 in the second quarter. I mean, their best quarter was the second quarter, and that's when Heald was out there. And I thought that that kind of jump-started things for them a little bit. And what and that opened some things up as they went around. Two of their starting five, let's not forget this, had never played a game with the rest of this core. And they looked that efficient. Again, I know it was the Wizards, but you often see whenever you're bringing in free agent acquisitions, you need time to gel. You want the offense to be able to flow in a certain way, and it takes time and I will preface this because I don't want everybody to jump on and say, hey, they're going to put up 140 a night. The Wizards have clear, obvious flaws, but the fact that they were able to get pretty much what they wanted at will, you would have thought Brown and Toppin had been here for two or three years. That is a good thing in terms of what this team could become this season, that there wasn't a massive opening night lull of a learning curve. They so pretty much looked as potent as they were a year ago. It's Petey, right? Petey is the name of our flamingo? Correct. Okay, this is Petey, the Pacers' pink flamingo, right? Yes. And he's going to sit with us after every win. Yes. How many games this year does Petey, do you think, sit in that chair? At least 40. Okay. Does that have to be the day after? Like, if they win on a Saturday and are off Sunday and we come in Monday, he still sits in, right? Correct. Okay. But if he if they win on Friday after we're on and then lose on Saturday, what's the rule? No Petey? He's Correct. grounded, right? No Petey. I was thinking either that or he's just he he wants to be a part of the show, but he's not quite there. Maybe he's just like off on well, top of the like television. That's like all three of us. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on. Jeremy asked earlier, what do I have to do to be in the company? Well, technically, we don't have what we would call an arduous selection program, right? Well, do you drink chai tea? <laughs> <laughs> You're the one. Where is your chai tea? You haven't had the chai tea since I mentioned it. To Actually, you. I did have one today. I drank it before you got in here, but because it, he didn't want you to see it. No, <laughs> I just got in a little earlier than normal. So you I, you know, most people. That, do you read a lot of literature? You don't read books. You read literature, right? Nope. I don't. I don't. Poetry? I don't care for reading. Are you a poet? No. I can be though if you need me to be a poet for the bit. Are you sure? Like right now, off the top of your head? Oh, goodness, no. Okay. I no. I think in prose, that's how it goes on each and every hour. A man who simply sits behind his literary power, like something like that. Is that a real line or off the dome? That sounded like a bar. That didn't sound like a poem. Excuse me? A bar? There's a lot of crossover on bars and poetry. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's, I, I actually don't know if that's a bit or if that just came to me. Truth be told, to be a poet, never know it is what's become of me. I don't know if that's like 
I don't know if I wrote that like in high school or if I read that somewhere. Truth be told. Now, I could do Robert Frost if you'd like me to, whose woods these are. I think I know his house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. I mean, I could do that, but, you know. I like how you then said again, you I could, could do shift. it, and then you did it. Well, I could shift poets because in my head I can hear you saying nevermore. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This song instantly takes me back to USA East Skating Rink roller skating parties about 1982. It was all the rage, man. Sweaty palms waiting to ask people if they want to moonlight together. Maybe if they ask, do you, you guys have the thing when you were in like middle school, elementary school? If you were gonna, if you were, if somebody was your girlfriend, what did you ask them? What was the? How did you ask them to be your girlfriend? Or like, if if somebody was was a romantic item with someone else in class, what was the euphemism? What was the phrase, the figure of speech that was used? I'm curious if this stood the test of time. I never used it. I don't have friends that used it, but my parents would say going steady or going steady. Okay. That's, I would think of, I think of going steady as more agreed, but I think of that as more like a, our parents era, like, um, high school or like sure. early college, like courtship, right? Going like, out was usually the okay. phrase that was used. We, we would say like, in, in, and I'm talking about like in fifth grade where your girlfriend consisted of nothing more than like you bought them, you know, a pencil like on their birthday, right? <laughs> sure. But you would say, will you go with me? And then it was like, did you hear? They're going together. They're going with each other. I, I don't know. We didn't go anywhere, right? Correct. I, I literally, like, I think the most nervous I've ever been in my life, I've never really been nervous in my life, but I remember being terrified at the roller skating party of, like, 1981, probably that song was playing overhead, to go ask Ann Sprague to go with me. And Ann Sprague said she'd go with me, which was great, and then I bought her, like, a Smurf pencil on her birthday, and then at the North Central football game, not long after that, I, I was told that we're no longer going together. Okay. But I mean, like it was, I hear that song, it instantly takes me back. Uh, Colts back on the practice field getting set for the New Orleans Saints. That game, of course, going to be on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. And this does kind of feel like one of those games, there are so many games that you kind of circle on the schedule where you're like, this is a big one, this is a big one, etc. You know, whoever would have guessed that Cleveland was going to be a big one, but coming off of the way that game ended, and then... The Saints are just one of those teams that they're kind of in that same transitional period of finding themselves out that the Colts are in. So I don't know. I'll be curious when we talk to David coming up here. We're going to go down to New Orleans, talk to David Grubb in about 30 minutes, just to find out exactly, like, is New Orleans ahead or below, ahead or behind schedule of where they thought they'd be at this point? You know what I mean? Um, but for the Colts, it seemingly has been as much about at this point, just trying to find out, you know, from a health standpoint where guys are. And you, you almost forget because you've got 
then you go and you're, you're taking back on Frank Reich and you've got another rookie quarterback in Bryce Young, which is, you know, obviously now the Anthony Richardson-Young battle's not going to happen. That's the next game. Does this, Jimmy, to you feel like it could be, as odd as it sounds, the proverbial trap game in the NFL, even though it's not like Carolina is some formidable opponent. But you've got a stretch here where you feel like you've got a pretty good shot in these games. I don't know if I'd go so far as trap game. I do agree with you that, yes, you have a fair shot in the coming games and schedule. Really, the next five weeks, you can make an argument that the Colts should be hanging around in these games. Where the trend goes week to week over this stretch begins with the Saints. Regardless of if you think the Colts are in a clear rebuilding season or a clear transition season, like you alluded to, Jake, Regardless if you want to feel that way as a Colts fan and think, hey, our schedule's still easy enough and the AFC playoff picture towards the five, six, seven seeds, they're obtainable. Okay, this is the game where you find out if it's really obtainable. You are equal to or better than New Orleans Saints in almost every area of roster construction. This is a game you should win. Whether it was Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew at quarterback, this is a game that you should win. Derek Carr has not been what New Orleans, I guess, thought he was going to be. He's never been able to recapture. He's had flashes, never been able to recapture that fantastic season that he had where he was in MVP conversations with Oakland at the time a couple of years ago. He's never been that guy. He's decent, a solid quarterback in that same Kirk Cousins range. New Orleans is a bad team. The Colts, one could also argue, are also a bad team, but they're better than New Orleans. They're better than Carolina in terms of roster construction. They're probably better than New England, but New England just beat Buffalo. So, again, looking at a three-week sample size, it starts with New Orleans. I don't know the schedule, Jake, is good enough for this to be a trap game, but it is definitely an identifier game for the season of what is the second half of the season hold? Is it genuinely all about, hey, the receiving room looks better this week than it did last week, and hey, they're looking better over the second half of the season than they were the first? Is that our conversation, or is it, who knows, maybe they could be a playoff team that either lives or dies on Sunday for me. I, I actually, I have been, and probably the sand is running through the hourglass on this narrative. I've been a, a fan and or defender of Derek Carr for a long time. I, I Matt Taylor, who's going to join us at two o'clock, you know, he and I've had conversation where it just felt like he has a, like a leadership ability and an accuracy as a passer ability about him that I thought in the right situations, he could really be a good player in the, in the NFL. But, Jimmy, at some point you got to go, well, there have been multiple situations now and it hasn't taken off yet, right? I mean, at some point you are who you are. I will give him this. Oakland has shown incompetency over the last, well, you go back a really long time, but let's just say since he's been there. When he was drafted in 2014, again, they had that one good season in 16 where they went 12-3. and He's been on bad teams. He's never really gotten that second wind of, say, Kirk Cousins from the Commanders to the Vikings where, okay, you're really being a part of a build. New Orleans wants that to be... like they, That's what they want, right? They feel like they have what you've seen out of Derek Carr. They have a quarterback that plays the position well, that gets rid of the football in a timely manner, and that they can build around for a couple of seasons. Kind of like what Minnesota's done with Kirk Cousins. I just still don't think the Saints are that. I don't think... I think they are closer to the Raiders in terms of competency as an organization than some might let on, which will probably to your, not your fault, but to your argument on car, he'll probably never get that real opportunity with a good organization to thrive. Right. I, you know, certainly it's a game that, that you look at and you go, okay, I, you know, 
at home against the Saints, chance to kind of rebound from the Cleveland game. The question is how much of a hangover is there from the way that Cleveland game ended? Yeah. The fact that you have the owner like pointing out, like, hey, there, there were bad calls at the end of it. You know, they're professionals. I don't know that you dwell on that too much. But one of the curious things from yesterday that I didn't necessarily see coming, did you see who was uh, added onto the injury list in terms of did not practice yesterday? Mm-hmm. Eddie is, Eddie is nodding. Did you, are you nodding or did you just drink some chai tea? No. No. Did not drink chai tea. Okay, go ahead. Zach Moss. Correct. Now, Zach might need to head to the Good Feet store. He's got a heel issue. It's always a good spot whenever right. you have yeah. lower extremity stuff. I mean, all he has to do is go to goodfeetindy.com or go into Greenwood or 82nd and Dean and say, listen, I've got a heel issue. And they might say, well, you, what you need is some arch supports. Balance your feet out. Very easy to do. But Zach Moss added to the injury report, uh, he, what was the other thing, heel and like elbow maybe? Didn't practice yesterday. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. I, I think today is when you get a better idea as you head kind of shift towards the second half of the week. Juju Brents and as well, Braden Smith, Kylan Granson all still out. Those are the big ones on there. Brents is a curious one too because, Jimmy, the reality is it doesn't it feel like Juju Brents is like some five-year veteran? I mean, this is a guy that missed a lot of camp with injury. And he gets injured now, and it's a key injury for them. And you forget, I mean, this is this guy's in the the infancy of his NFL career, but he already feels like that sort of a key part of, of defensively. Partially because he's played well, I think. I really like his skill set. I think he's active. I think he's athletic. I think he's got a little bit of a nasty streak in him. And then partially because truthfully speaking he the position itself there's just not a lot of depth right correct they, they, they just don't have a lot of margin for error there in terms of that aspect the one area why you can get away with that this week obviously earlier in the week or maybe it was last night or two nights ago chris Olave had a speeding incident i don't know if there's any like ramifications with that for this week from what i've read i don't see anything that how fast was he going do we know it said i thought 35 miles per hour over the speed limit well, 70 to 35. Okay. Now, I'm not excusing this by any stretch. Allow me to ask this. My point was, by the way, before we dive into this, that there's nobody that intimidates you in New Orleans from a passing game standpoint. Michael Thomas is a shell of himself. Right. It's Chris Olave and a bunch of dudes. What area of Indianapolis? What area of Indianapolis, if you most had to sit, if, if the if IMPD came to you, and they said, okay, now I'm talking about Marion County. I'm not talking about the Donut Counties. Marion County. They say to you, they're like, look, we need you to find, we're going to give you $1,000 for every ticket of 35 miles an hour or, or you know, above the speed limit that you, you can nail people. So 35 over. I mean, if you get on 465, you could probably do it all day because that would be, I think, isn't 465 a 55 zone? Yes. There are probably people doing 90 fairly often, on, but we're going to take 465 out of it. In terms of streets with stoplights, what, what stretch – is is like the Audubon. There's one that I have that I'm like, people fly, and you'd be shocked if you knew the speed limit. I mean, not speaking from experience here, but like Meridian? That's up there. The only problem with Meridian, if you've ever noticed this, do you ever notice when you drive on Meridian between like 42nd and 56th, you actually do this. You're driving along, and then you go, and you like actually suck in because you're like, the road is so narrow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to sideswipe the curb the entire way. Correct. It feels like bumper cars. Yes. But that's way up there. That That's Meridian for certain when you go past Kessler. Between Kessler and like 71st on Meridian as you're winding around St. Paul's headed towards 2nd Prez. I mean, go for it, right? 
Bluff. Okay, on the south side? Yes. What's the speed limit down there? Probably 35. Yeah, I mean, come on, right? The other one that, to me, in the Clearwater area, right by the Goodfeet store, mind you, 82nd Street between Allisonville (laughs) and Dean, that stretch there? Sure. That's like a 30 zone. (laughs) Nobody's doing 30. Nobody, right? I'm not advocating for it. I have a very shady driving list. Or, or driving record, not not in a long time. I'm not I'm not I'm not in any way, shape, or form. Let's knock on a wood for you, by the way. How many tickets do you think I've had? Not that anybody cares. We're gonna. Re- I'm saying this only because it would be easy for me to sit here and and we'll go. We'll, uh, we'll do we'll do what I usually do. We'll overshoot. Fifteen. Fifteen tickets. Yes. I mean, I am old. That's what I'm factoring I've been, in. There. I've been driving for 35 years, right? Yes. Hang on. I got This is going to require. This needs a password. Eddie, did you see any blue and uh, <laughs> you see any blue and white on your drive home after you said that you've never been pulled over? Nope. All right. You've never been pulled over. Zero. You've ne- Do you drive like? I mean, are you lucky? No. I pay attention. I'm vigilant. Have you ever been close? Have you ever seen a like a cop sitting? And hanging out in like you know a gap between where a bridge is, and been like, oh, I need to stop. Like you caught him early, and you braked a bit, and then you were fine. Yeah, I okay. mean, yeah. Well, I mean, that's I, what I mean by being vigilant. Sure, like, correct. Sure, I may be speeding, but like I see the cop sitting in the median, so I slow down. I don't slam on the brakes, but okay, I'm not going fast enough to where I have to tap on him. Okay, I can just usually. I can't take believe you've cruise. never even had a. You've never been pulled over. No, have you ever had a parking ticket? Parking ticket, um, yeah, that's because it my meter expired. All right, that happens. And that was about like well, five What other minutes. reason would someone have to have a parking ticket unless you parked no. somewhere you're not supposed to? Okay, here, here's my driving record. You ready? Sure. Are we going all the way back? As far okay. back as you want to go. 1991, 50 and a 35. 1992, 69 and a 55. 1991, 95 and a 65. 1992, 62 and a 40. 1992, 40 and a 30. Uh, 1995, 70 and a 55. 1996, 55 and a 45. 1996, 75 and a 55. Uh, 1997, it just says speeding. It must have been dropped. Uh, Isn't 19- there a point system? 1996, uh, defensive driving. I've got my masters. 84 and a 65. Um, okay, how about this one? 1997, 37 and a 35. That's tough. That's a lifetime achievement award is what that is, right? Yes, that's one of those where you get pulled over and they're just going to probably give you a warning. They look and say, man, the 90s have been weird for this guy. And 1999, 50 and a 35. 2007, 78 and a 55. 2008, 52 and a 35. What was the one you said before 07? Uh, before 07? Yes. 50 and a 35? What was the year? 37 and a 35. 99. So you had an eight-year gap? A- and... Were you not driving at that time because of the points? Okay, the last one that I got was in 2019. I was driving back. I was doing an IndyCar race. We were flying out of Newark. I had Kyle Kaiser with me, who had been the driver analyst for us. Kyle Kaiser, who had two months prior bumped Fernando Alonso out of the Indy 500 and run the Indy 500. Mm -hmm. I was driving. Kyle Kaiser was the passenger. We get to Newark, and our flight was canceled. And it was going to be a total disaster. And I'm like, dude, you want to just drive it? So we drove from the Newark airport. We turned around and we're like, let's just drive. It was a Sunday after the IndyCar race in Pocono. We're driving and at like the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning in the middle of Ohio, we got pulled over on I-70. Mm. And the cop said, he the cop, he said, where are you guys coming from? I told him. And he goes, well, you realize that you were, you might've been at the race, but you're not in the race. 
Great line. It was. <laughs> and so he gave me the ticket. And I mean, I couldn't argue it. I was speeding. But I remember he said, do you want to explain to me why you feel it's necessary to go this speed on the interstate at 3 o'clock in the morning? And I said, because it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm 200 miles from home. And he goes, yeah, that's a good point. He was super cool about it. That was nice. But I didn't have the heart to say... Uh, you realize the guy sitting next to me just bounced a two-time Formula One world champion out of the Indy 500. It was irrelevant. Well, do you think that would have gotten you as much luck as it did for Chris Olave, who said, I play for the Saints, yeah, to I which mean, the officer said, yeah. and? You, that, did he, you <laughs> think he did? Quote. That's the quote. I mean, that, that's the story. Here's the thing. The I, am, I am the first to admit, I have never had like a reckless driving charge. I've never had any sort of <laughs> under-the-influence charge. I had a lead foot when I was a younger guy. It was nearly impossible coming up 37 with an IU sticker in your window to not at least get pulled over and interviewed back in the day but it took a long time but i've grown up cool. i've had one ticket in 22 years that's impressive considering where the well, 90s were with in, you in 16 years yeah quote my bad dog i play for the saints man the officer simply asked and i at least he said my bad yeah i know i that's appreciate better, that that's look, better look, than to be clear some of these like arrests that happen like it, it's it's DUI. like it's it's very very dangerous stuff and i say speeding isn't 70 and 35 is wild but like it's remorse it's fine like whatever you move on. i mean my point being go this, through a, go i'm not through excusing a, chris olave neither at am I, all neither am i but and certainly i would ask people to obey traffic laws for sure i mean I don't, but there are some places where 35 is a little but there are places in indy where 50 and a 35 there are places in indy where i think you could easily pull people over and they would assume the speed limit is 50 and it's like no this is a 35 zone sure really okay ameriplex by the airport. Yeah. What's the zone over there? 35. Yeah, see, I mean, obviously the conscientious Eddie knows this because now there must not be much caffeine in the chai tea because if I was drinking that and I was caffeinated, then I'd want to speed, right? Well, there is no caffeine in chai tea. It's sugar. There's no caffeine at all? No, it's sugar. It's tea. But tea has coffee. caffeine. Some tea has caffeine in some it. Some tea does, but chai tea does not. I don't know. The, I don't, Hold on. I say some tea because it could be all tea. I literally have no idea. It, now I'm thoroughly confused. If chai tea has no caffeine, what the hell are you doing drinking it? Because I don't want to drink coffee. But you drink, but but people drink coffee for the caffeine, yes. right? Yes. Okay, here we go. A typical <laughs> cup of black chai tea has 60 milligrams of caffeine. The hell are you doing? But it's not. <laughs> if your doctor tells you that you need to drink non-caffeinated beverages and you're drinking the chai tea, now I'm worried. It's absolutely caffeinated, right? Yes. Tea also gives you more of a steady energy boost than coffee, which kicks in faster but spikes and drops quicker. Eddie, you're wacky on the junk and you don't even realize it. Sure. How in the world have you never had a ticket when you're all hopped up on the caffeine and you're not even aware of it? You're drinking gallons of this stuff. Do you, <laughs> do you find yourself awake late at night? No. Well, yes. Do you but sleep well? Everything going okay at home? I, I do sleep, yeah. What time do you is go there to any, bed? Is there anything in your life Depends. that's currently causing you high levels Seriously. of stress that would make you have sleepless nights? Hold on, hold on. Do you find on, yourself on. sweating a lot? No. Okay. I do not. Do you walk quickly? Uh, depends on the situation. I mean, typically you're like one aspirin from a coma. That's why I'm surprised that when you're chugging this black chai tea that you're not showing the effects of the caffeine. Are you asking for the non-caffeinated chai tea? No, I am not. <laughs> okay. Do you go in? Where do you get this? Starbucks. And do you, when you give them your, do you give them your name or do they automatically know it? Well, they ask you for your name. I know, but do, do they ask you for your name or do they automatically know Do you know use it? the app? <laughs> do you use the app? No. All right. I so do you not. don't have rewards points for this chai tea. Well, I, I do, but... 
not my account. Ah, okay. It's a family I think, account. I think you're also loading up the, the, the chai tea with all kinds of junk because you bring it in here and it looks like you're drinking. No, I milk. literally, today I went in there. It's like, hey, can I get a venti iced pumpkin spice chai tea? <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> it is the season for the spice. Yeah. Jake. That's better known as a Vips CT, right? Isn't that, why don't you just order that? Can I get a Vips CT? Now, Venti is which size? It's a large. Why don't they just say large? It's not there's a, a, there's a, there's a, the one there's a great bit about that in a Paul Rudd movie. I can't remember what the, the name well, of the, the movie one is. Time, the one time that I, I remember going, I mean, I'm not a, a coffee drinker. I have nothing against it. But the one time that I remember ordering a coffee, I'm like, can I get a medium? And they like couldn't, they're like, well, we don't have that. I'm like, well. That's basically the scene in the movie. What's the middle, right. Like, what's the middle, the middle size? Can I get that? And I mean, McDonald's is the same way, right? It's like, well, we have small, large, and extra large. Uh, uh, okay. The, the, the medium meaning that, right? In the middle. Yes. But regardless. Um, so the Colts, back to that point, by the way. Colts on the practice field today. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I guess the one now that we really shift our attention to, I think we can probably say Juju Brents and Braden Smith notably – probably not going to play right looking that way yeah kylan granson we keep an eye on he's in the concussion protocol but then zach moss with the heel and shoulder um you know that popped up eddie i'm correct in saying that was yesterday was the first that popped up right yes i, I mean obviously I their did, first practice but i did notice on sunday at the game moss between series one time he came back out and he was all taped up on one arm so the elbow injury did sustain it it looked like on sunday because he had a significant amount of tape around it but in terms of the the foot that is new i'd like to go back to the fact that i believe you said on the radio it doesn't have caffeine it's tea i didn't think it had caffeine in it (laughs) (laughs) what what do you think the people in england are doing eddie (laughs) like what do you think they're doing right other than skipping the dentist, what do you think they're doing? They're drinking the, the tea because it's got the caffeine and because it's like 45 and rainy every day and they got to wake up, right? And their teeth are bad enough they can't drink the coffee, so they go with the tea, right? It's <laughs> a good question. It's a good statement. <laughs> I mean, now you know. I'm just telling you. Like, if you find yourself in a situation moving forward where they tell you you got to lower the caffeine and the caffeine intake, then you now we know where the culprit is, right? Do you drink any other kind of tea? I drink uh I drink the medicine ball there. I drink green tea. Medicine drink, ball. Yes. What's that? Jimmy, help me out here. It's uh it's got mint tea, lemon, honey, and honey. Yeah. Yeah. Any medicine? No, but no. it's utilized that way it's, because if you have a sore throat or if yeah. you're starting to like I use it all the time if I've done a ton of broadcasts or if like a cold comes on during the same thing. Same thing with like a hot tea and honey and lemon. Okay. Same and then thing. what's the other kind you get, Eddie? Uh I'll drink green tea. Okay. Uh, sweet tea, and that's about it. You know that sweet tea has sugar, right? I do. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or not. I hate to be the one to break that to you. The sweet Thank tea you. does have sugar. Thank you. Right? Yeah. Um, now, the other thing that happened last night in the Pacer game that we talked about, Jimmy, you've got on the, and I find this interesting, you're a Yankees fan, right? I am. Do you think this was marketed? I'm fascinated by this. Did the Pacers find themselves marketing genius and brilliance by <laughs> taking a New York Yankees shirt and turning it into a Pacers shirt to capitalize on the people that are just front runner fans of okay. other franchises okay. and thus Whoa now no here's what i think happened and i would argue outside of the flow joes like because these are the pacers uniforms i grew up on their pinstripe look fair is one of their best uniform sets Yeesh. one of you know what one of come on this, this goes back to hold on eddie back me up pinstripes no no comment all right 
Here's the thing. I have always felt this way. All right. When it comes to uniforms and jerseys. Sure. 100%. Did I not give enough proper respect to the Flojos? Is that wrong? Flojos are great. 100%. Okay. If you were to survey fans of give me a franchise off top of your, uh, basketball give me a basketball franchise off top of your head supersonics Su- okay well the supersonics <laughs> are a tough one because they've only done the same thing basically the whole time right <laughs> the but, miami heat okay the miami heat if you were to talk to somebody and say what's your favorite miami heat uniform i didn't say best by the way i said one of right come on or, or best i feel like this is leading to a big hand slap from the, the no, second half not life at all of i'm Jake actually Cleary. saying this in support all right of you, okay in support right, of you. okay if you were to ask the average fan of any franchise their favorite jersey or uniform, and it's a and if it's a a franchise that has had multiple jerseys and or uniforms, then there are going to be two answers that are the most common. The first is whatever friend whatever uniform the franchise was wearing during their breakthrough golden years of of achievement, and for the Pacers. People love the Flojos because that's what Reggie Miller was wearing in the epic Knicks versus Hicks era. And when this town, listen, I know the Pacers were fabulous in the ABA. I get it. But from an NBA standpoint, this town fell in love with the Indiana Pacers during the mid-90s Reggie Miller versus the Knicks. Holy cow. I remember when when Byron Scott hit the shot to beat Orlando in, in, in round one that year. And then they went after that and they knocked out Atlanta. And it's like, it wasn't until like midway through that Atlanta series. I remember my roommate at IU going, I think they can go to the finals. And it's like, are you crazy? Because they, they were under 500 like 50 games in that year. It all came together for them in the second half of the season. And people were so used to, yeah, they had had the Chuck Person teams that played Boston. Yeah, they had been to the first round against the Knicks and been bounced a couple times. But people were not used to or accustomed to the Pacers making deep runs. And this city absolutely fell in love with the Reggie Miller Knicks runs. That's when this town got intoxicated by the Pacers and they chased that high ever since. People were putting signs. You, you walked around downtown in 1994. They had sign- people had poster board signs in every window. Boom, baby, this, that. They had a rally on market- at City Market after they lost the Eastern Conference Finals. They had a rally for the team live on Channel 13. Come on down. Meet Duke Tomato. The Pacers are going to be, the players are going to be there. People fell in love with them. So because of that, that uniform is going to be Everyone, that's the one that everyone's going to agree upon, right? Then after that, I think, Jimmy, the second most common uniform that would be answered of what was your favorite would be the one that was being used by the team at the time that the person talking first began getting introduced to and following the team. And for you, that would probably be the pinstripes, right? Sure. So, so in very terms understandable. Of being, in terms of being cognizant and aware of what I right. was rooting so for. Right. So there's a nostalgia there. Like for me, the Wayman Tisdale, you had the T-shirt on yesterday with the Pacers with the street going yes. through it, like that, or even the left-handed jump shot logo on the royal blue that was like the the horrendous, and he was a fabulous player, but the Clark Kellogg, Steve Stepanovich, like Jose Slaughter, Jim Thomas era, like I love those uniforms because that's when I first started, you know, Pacer pride and watching it on Channel Four and Jerry Baker, I loved it. They were terrible, but that uniform takes me back to childhood. But I think the Flojos would be the universal one that people here would go with simply because of the fact that that's their greatest era that people most 
fondly recall. And then the obviously the Paul George era after that. Um, but that right fir- era. But there, there's nothing. That's right. There's nothing like that first run for people. So uh, I have another thing to blame the brawl for then. The brawl? Yes. Okay. Because I was pinstripes. Okay. So I'm saying, so like, so like you, okay. you can make the argument because everybody wants to make the argument that point. Hey, they should have won the title that year. I have another thing to blame the brawl for. Okay. For, or, or blame the pinstripes, right? <laughs> If you want to do it that sure, way. Sure. Uh, speaking of on the go, we're exactly that. We're going down to New Orleans for our Thursday road trip. Talk about the Saints and Colts next. We're going to head down. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Down to one of the great and beautiful states amongst the 50 in this country, the state of Louisiana. Where, by the way, you know, the state, I believe the state bird is the pelican, right? I mean, I know they're the New Orleans pelicans, but isn't that on the state flag down there, Jimmy? I think so. Big fan of Louisiana, man. Love the people down there. Uh, and they have a great passion for the New Orleans Saints, who are up next for the Colts. That game taking place Sunday on uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium. And joining us now to talk about that, David Grubb, who does a podcast, Believe in Saints, amongst other things, talking about the Saints down in Nolens. Nolens. Nolens? No, which way do we say David, which way do I say that if I want to do the proper accent? To say New Orleans. Don't Nor- say Nolens. Don't say Nolens ever. Just say Nolens. Okay, so so the, like, so <laughs> tourists tourists say yeah. Nolens. Now here's here's how I would say it if I like if I was flying there and buying a plane ticket, I'm gonna say it naturally the way I would, and then you, I want you to critique it. You ready? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd like one ticket, please, for um, New Orleans. You're good. You're good. Yes. You're good. Love as that. As long as you don't put an eens on it, you know that's. That, that, that is only for Johnny B. Good. You know what I'm saying? Like, as long as you don't put that in and you don't do the knowledge, you're good. I love that. Uh, and then there's plenty of good grub down there, actually, once I get there. but um, So, David Grubb, first question would be this. In terms of the Saints, interesting franchise, because we were talking about this earlier, not a team here in Indianapolis that we've talked a lot about so far this year. I think we kind of expected that they would also be in a transition era, in particular at the quarterback play. Where do things stand right now for the Saints in terms of, are they ahead of or behind where you thought they'd be at this point, or about on par? Um, I think they're behind where they should be, um, though my expectations for this, for this team were moderate uh, coming into the year. I thought they would finish, that they will finish somewhere between 7 and 10 wins. It just depends on how luck goes in the NFL. I don't have great expectations for them. But, you know, when any, whenever you look at your record, it's not only what your record is, it's how you got there. And the biggest thing with the Saints was that they thought they had solved their quarterback issue with Derek Carr, which I don't know how many teams would say that in the NFL, but the Saints went with that. So at the bare minimum, you're expecting when you've got four first-round picks and one second-rounder on your offensive line, you got Michael Thomas and Chris Olave on the outside and Alvin Kamara in the backfield, that your offense should score more than 20 points pretty regularly. And uh, with Dennis Allen as head coach, scoring points has been a real problem for the New Orleans Saints, and it continues to be a problem. Is the anticipation that with two years still left before an out that would have a dead cap of about $11 million, 
Is the anticipation that they want to build around Carr over these next two seasons, or is, is he a placeholder that they, they kind of hope he does well for them, but it, it's not the end of the world if he doesn't? Is it was this an all-in move for the Saints? No, I think they're betting big on Derek Carr, and um, you know, quite frankly, I I don't get why, but you know, they've also bet big on Dennis Allen. That guy's got 18 wins in the NFL and 42 losses, so. Um, you have to just wonder right now if the organization understands where it is. Because I can think they're going to rebuild. You can think they're going to rebuild. But if the organization thinks they're one or two moves from being in contention, and they're clearly not based on what we're seeing on the field, then you, there's nothing that can be done. David, I believe that Derek Carr is one of the most fascinating players in the NFL. And let me tell you why. Because certainly statistically and, and in terms of accolades, there's nothing that really jumps out at you. And I don't know why this is, but I'm clearly not alone in the fact that I've always felt like he has franchise quarterback in him. He can throw accurately. He seems to have a good leadership about him that, that players rally around. Yet, yet, it just has not taken off. And at some point, i got to convince myself that it hasn't by now. It probably is never going to. What is it seemingly for a guy that's thrown for 1,600 yards, six touchdowns, but does have four picks? What seems to be the missing ingredient with Carr? I don't think he trusts what he sees on the field. You know, like the, the, the reputation that he's gotten in particular the last two years is, you know, you saw the Jaguars openly talking about it. We expect Derek Carr to check down. And if that's your expectation as a quarterback when you're young, it's one thing when you're an older quarterback and the arm ain't the arm anymore. But he's still in his physical prime. And it's, it's pretty, you know, just it's pretty obvious that he, he, there are plays that he doesn't even look through the progression. He just goes right to the check down because it's the safest play. And I think maybe that's some shell shock from being under pass rush while he was in uh, Oakland and, and Vegas. I don't know what it is, but we also know in the NFL, if quarterbacks don't win by the time they're 30, they usually don't win. And it's just this is a guy who has not won anything. I think he's in a, in a big group of mediocre quarterbacks. That if, But if, if everything is perfect around them, then you could do something with them. And unfortunately, that's not the situation he's in. Man, he's got some weapons, though, right? I mean, that's got to be the frustrating thing if you're a Saints fan. Like, I think the world of Alave, I think he's a great player. Um, do we – do we think that there might be are, are there enough things around him that it's just an acclimation period or to your point I guess is it just not going to happen or are, are we throwing it in too early well the, the big the big issue here seems to be with the offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael and um, Pete Carmichael is is the subject of a lot of ire, um, his play calling. He did not call the plays, you know, under Sean Payton. He was the offensive coordinator, but he was not the play caller. Uh, he has been the play caller under Dennis Allen, and the Saints offense has regressed severely. Now, you could say, well, look, they've had these quarterback issues. But even uh, compared to last year, it's gotten worse. And that's the thing that, that people just don't understand. You went out and you got the quarterback you wanted. You've had him the entire offseason. He's been healthy. Your receivers have been healthy. The, you know, the things that you wanted in place, there shouldn't be this level of miscommunication. And that's what they've been talking about since week one. 
is we've got to improve the communication. Well, why is it so bad when you guys have all been together this long? And it's it's a little bothersome at this stage that we're still talking about it. These are things that should have gotten worked out much earlier. David, what, if anything, comes of Chris Olave's arrest in terms of the rest of the season? Is it just it's a speeding charge? Like, for instance, it... If I was to get speeding today and get a violation to be arrested, like I'd probably still come into work. Is there any type of punishment from the team from Olave, or is this just a "Hey, be smarter, move on"? Yeah, I mean it was it, it was it was bad. It's a seventy, you know, thirty-five. Like we're not going to minimize it. You're, you're going double the speed right. limit. Um, but you know, the NFL has not punished players in the past for these types of speeding violations. You know, we're not talking about a Henry Ruggs situation um but uh i think you know he's he's, he's gonna learn from this he's a young guy and i think he was frustrated it, it was the weekend after a very emotional thing and at 24 who who hasn't sped you know uh at, at late at night who at 44 who hasn't so i think we've all been in that situation uh i think he made some young mistakes um as far as telling them do you know i play for the saints i would don't ever do that uh, but I think the rest of it, it, it won't affect his play because they need him, and he needs the team, I think. You know, he needs to, to reestablish his reputation because I think it's taken a hit, not only with that, but with a couple of things as, as far as him not running out routes completely. David Grubb is our guest, journalist down in Louisiana that covers the Saints amongst other sports in the New Orleans area and Baton Rouge area. David, uh, the Saints, not unlike the Colts, have probably had – uh, this year been a little inconsistent, I guess, in terms of actually they've been consistent in the fact that it's like win two, lose two, win two. But the the games in which they have played well, their strength or the things that they have done that has allowed them to win is what? Minimizing the big play and uh, taking advantage of turnovers on defense and then converting red zone opportunities. You know, this team has been one of the worst in the league offensively in converting in the red zone. Uh, and they've got to do that in order to win. The defense has given them opportunities. Um, you know, it hasn't been perfect, but it's given them opportunities. It's been one of the best scoring defenses in the league. So um, I think if, if the, the Saints can not give up the big play on the defensive end because they, they like to play a lot of band coverage, um, and that's where they've been susceptible to, with crossing routes or over the top um, if the defensive line is not creating pressure. Uh, so they, they've been susceptible there. And then it's the turnovers. When they get them, they take advantage of them. Uh, and, of course, the red zone and special teams. You know, the, the special teams have hurt the Saints a lot. Blake Groupie's missed uh, three kicks already this season. One was a potential game winner. And uh, the punting has been really poor. That's That game-winning drive by Jacksonville was set up by a particularly poor punt. In terms of Saints legends, so there's a restaurant in the French Quarter it's the eve of Mardi Gras. Everybody and their brother is waiting around the block to get the last table there. And there's a table for four. And every living Saints legend is waiting and wrapped around the block. What four get it? And how close is Tracy Porter towards getting the seat? <laughs> if it, if, am I picking the four? Let's just say it's put up to a vote amongst like natives of the state of Louisiana. Can I get, let me guess here, David, you ready? Uh-huh. Drew Brees? Yeah. Ricky Jackson? Yep. Um, Joe Horn? Nope. Okay. Uh, Archie Manning? Yep. And Pat Swilling? Nope. 
Okay. Well, is Tracy Porter in there? He'd be in the group, but the the guy's going to get ahead of him. Steve Gleason is going to get ahead of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I I can understand that. I was going to say George Rogers, but it kind of didn't go well for him, right? I mean, um, and and George George is probably the most talented running back the franchise has ever had, and that includes, you know, Ricky Williams and Deuce McAllister. But yeah, it just didn't end well for George, um, just in New Orleans and in his career in general. He's one of those great what ifs. Now, one of the age-old debates that we'll have forever, David, about New England, and for example, is you know was it Belichick or was it Brady? Which was it? In any way, shape, or form, are we going to find out that some of the great dominance and and you know just the era of sustained really good play? I guess a better way of saying it for the Saints was that more Breeze or Peyton, or was it fifty-fifty? And by Peyton, I mean Sean Peyton. Yeah, I think they need each other. You know, it, there are things that Drew couldn't see in himself that Sean brought out of him. Um, and there are things that only Drew could do in that system. Like, the, there's a, we say in New Orleans, there's a phrase that gets used constantly, Drew Brees-like accuracy when somebody's giving their opinion. Because you just we, we had not seen a passer who could place the ball so well. And, you know, a lot of people get completion percentage confused with accuracy. I think Sean, his aggressiveness, his imagination, and quite frankly, his cojones, you know, it, it, that, that empowered Drew Brees, who didn't really have that under Marty Schottenheimer when, you're, when he was in, um, with the Chargers. So when you're given that kind of key, you need that. And they were able to do some great things together. I don't think you could either one of them could have done it without the other. And I think, you know, that's usually the marriage, how it works. When those, when those coaches and quarterbacks talk about their relationship – it's the mental give and take that they respect about each other. And that was certainly apparent with Drew and Sean. How close is Bobby Aber getting to the table? Bobby got to the table. He played for the Falcons, man, and beat the Saints in a playoff game with a Falcons jersey on. So, like, Bobby hurt himself with that. Couldn't win a playoff <laughs> game with the Saints and won one against them with the Falcons. He can do all the radio he wants. He led the, you know, Super Bowl parade when they finally did win it and wore the Buddy Deliberto dress. But – that, that, that playoff game is always hurt. Okay, how close is one of my all-time favorites? I'm telling you, David Grubb, one of my all-time favorite interviews, favorite guys. I love him. I loved covering him. How close is Jim Mora to getting to the table? Oh, Jim, Jim look, Jim is, a, is always going to be beloved here. I think he's very close um, to be it at the table. The, the, mo- the modern Saints history begins with Jim Mora. You know what I mean? Like, that's the Superdome was not a feared place, right? Until Jim Moore he, he kind of—he's the first to start to give that franchise some national legitimacy. Does that make sense? He gave us the identity, like the, the Houdet chant became real. You know, it had been in New Orleans for a while, but it became real. It became something that people feared, and 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 the Dome Patrol is under his watch. He assembled that. He assembled the greatest linebacking core in NFL history. So to me, Jim Moore, the like, hey. If if he's not close, you know, he's at least he's looking in the window while those first four guys come in. <laughs> yep, I, I love it, David. Speaking of conversations that maybe haven't reached their conclusion yet, but off of the Saints and switching to the Pelicans, do we ever find out anything in terms of the players Zion Williamson can be in terms of his availability? Is this finally the year at some point? This is it. This is it for this organization. I think with this group as presently constructed, um, if Zion can't play 60 games plus this season, I think this team gets blown up. And, and it's a shame 
because all we've ever wanted as fans and as media and whatever is just to, to get one legitimate season with this group to say either it works or it doesn't. And we've been constantly teased over this period of time. I mean, Zion's averaged 28.5 games per season in four years. So, you know, he looked very good last night in the opener as they beat Memphis. But a lot of us are just holding our breath because until it's game 82, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's just the way it is. It With, with Zion, until it's the end of the year and the Pelicans are in the playoffs, whatever he does between now and then is just prologue. Now, David, the connection between our two cities – to me, is fascinating. So I want you to not forget this. You ready? Like, if you, have you ever been to Indianapolis, David? No, I have not. But okay. I definitely want to because yes, you are right. We have a number of connections, and there are certain things that I, I have to see in in that area. Well, he, here's the thing that's fascinating to me. So don't forget, as a as a guy that talks about the New Orleans Saints, when the Saints had the all time leading scorer in NFL history that had been a Saint for the better part of his career, don't forget he went to high school at Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis. And when Jim Mora was done coaching there and was replaced by Rick Venturi on the interim level, Mora ended up in Indianapolis where Venturi had previously coached. And in addition yep. to that, when Peyton Manning was trying to, of New Orleans was trying to complete a pass to Reggie Wayne of New Orleans, it was Tracy Porter from Indiana that intercepted it to give New Orleans a Super Bowl title and thus able to raise the trophy for Drew Brees, who played in West Lafayette, Indiana. So the connections are endless, right? Yes. So you come here. We'll go to Yats. We'll let you let us know whether or not the gumbo is authentic here in Indianapolis, and then we'll go over again how to exactly say New Orleans. Absolutely, guys. I, I would love it. All right, David. I appreciate it, man. Enjoy watching the game on Sunday. Thanks so much, and good luck to you guys as well. All right, life is easy down in the Big Easy. David Grubb, who actually is Baton Rouge, by the way, another cool town my buddy byron and i on our road trip we did baton rouge last year and i thought baton rouge was fabulous very cool city and the lsu campus is absolutely gorgeous matt taylor by the way the voice of the colts going to join us in 10 you guys ever had life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Have Matt Taylor going to join us in five minutes. You ever have a musician that you like? are kind of you're introduced to and you're like man this is like this sounds really good and then you go back and you look at it and you're like "Uh, this person's been around for like 20 years where have I been that probably happens with me more than you guys but you know does that ever happen to you I understand what you're talking about yes so I just I I literally yesterday learned of I have no idea how I even learned of this Taylor Swift but yes I've never heard of her before like (laughs) and like there's all this hub hub about Travis Kelsey um Jim Croce, who is a fascinating, like, kind of a folk rock singer, and I think most people know of a handful of his songs from the early 70s, but he was killed in a plane crash at the age of 30, right at the apex of his fame. As a matter of fact, um, a couple of his most popular songs were released posthumously. But when he died, he had a son that... Uh, I believe it was on the eve of his son's second birthday when he was killed in this in the plane crash, and just a a heartbreaking story. But his son AJ Croce is his name. 
um, you know, I, I, I guess you would say doesn't really know his father, didn't know his father because his father died when he was a day before he turned two years old. His mother, who was also a singer, then began a relationship with another guy whose abuse of AJ was so severe that AJ Croce developed a tumor that left him blind at the age of four. He eventually, from a health standpoint, was able to overcome that and regained his sight. But then later, um, his mother's house burned down in an accidental fire. A.J. Croce himself got married. His wife passed away from cancer. I mean, just like a life of tragedy, truth be told. But he is, he does, he is himself a musician. He sounds very much like his father. He covers a lot of his father's songs, Jim Croce's songs. And... This being the 50-year anniversary year of Jim Croce's passing, he is doing a tour, um, and I was looking at it, I'm like, man, I would love to see this guy in concert because he, he, I just think he sounds great, not only his own songs, but his dad's songs, and he's playing at the Palladium in March. So... I'm just. I was curious. Like, does anybody else know of AJ Croce? Am I like way late to the party here? So I had heard of Bad Bad Leroy Brown before. Correct. correct. Um, he got reintroduced. Croce did to people my age or younger because uh, you don't mess around with Jim was utilized in Stranger Things. Okay, I, I was gonna say you do so hear I think those that, songs. That's like, where he pop. Like, correct. If I was to guess, at least for some people that maybe hadn't heard of him around my age group, that might have been where. I, I mean, because I had that same sensation. Well, AJ, when I heard that song. but you're not familiar with AJ Croce, no, no, right? No. Yeah, I was going to say, and and I was wondering, you know, are people like, yeah, dude, like he's been playing, you know, big music houses for, I mean, he's been around for like 25 years as a musician, and he sounds really good. Um, but anyway, he's going to be here in March, and so hopefully we'll go check him out in yep. Carmel. Matt Taylor going to be next. Okay, so let's get right to it. Matt Taylor joins us from West 56th Street in the Colts Complex, the voice of the Colts. And Matt, I'll start with something that surprised me a little bit. And I I am the first to admit there are times sometimes that things surprise me and then I find out they were like common knowledge. And I'm like, oh, I must have been asleep at the wheel. Uh, Zach Moss being on the injury report with a heel and I believe it's elbow. Um, those came as a surprise to me. Is this cautionary, or is this something that we've got to keep a pretty close eye on? You know, I think we're going to find out today because uh, he popped up on the injury report yesterday. So yesterday was really the first time all season that he's been on there. So, yeah, he just kind of popped up yesterday, and Shane Steichen didn't say anything about Moss after the game on Sunday. So I don't think I don't think you're the you're the only one because um, it, it did kind of you know raise some eyebrows yesterday when I saw that for the first time. So uh, it is something to monitor, and we'll see if he's uh, back at all today. Limited, Matt. And- What's the messaging on Gardner Minshew in terms of the turnovers? The interceptions are more, like we mentioned, an anomaly, but now you're stacking back-to-back games of him getting strip-sacked. I understand that sacks are inevitable. They're going to happen, but is it more on Minshew in terms of, hey, you just got to hold on to the ball? I know Miles Garrett is an animal and he's one of one, but is it that? Is it more the offensive line? Is it an entire conversation? Where does it go in terms of ball security for him, specifically when pressure gets home? Yeah, I think it's across the board for the, for this offense to know that, hey, if we just don't kill ourselves, if we don't turn the ball over, if we don't give up so many easy um, scoring opportunities for the opposition, because I said it earlier this week, I mean, the Browns, the, Cleveland had five scoring drives of 40 yards or less. 
I mean, that's just gift wrapping uh, a loss, and that that's what really stinks for the Colts. I mean, they run or they excuse me, they rack up 456 yards of offense and they score 38 points, and you lose. And it's really hard to do that. But the reason why you 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 did lose that game is just because you know four turnovers and eight penalties and. Obviously, we saw the, you know, the the uh, the the strip sack that was recovered for a touchdown that led to seven points. Obviously, directly for the defense, uh, the the two questionable calls there at the end, like none of it mattered if the Colts just don't turn the ball over four times. And it, it's just a, another harsh reminder that in the NFL, man, it's real. I don't care who you're playing. I don't care who you're playing and where you play. It is hard to win football games in the National Football League, and the razor, or I should say the, the margin of error is razor, razor thin, and you're right, Jimmy. I mean, the, the Miles Garrett completely ruined that game. I think Rick Venturi at one point during the game said, it's the Colts 21 and Miles Garrett 27, because that just is, it's that, that's how the game felt to that point. Um, but yeah, I think everybody on offense has to know Ball security has to be at a premium. That starts with Gardner Minshew. He talked about it, you know, this week, saying, "I got to have a better internal clock in my head. I have to, uh, you know, better understand where pressure is around me." And that's a hard thing to do. Listen, we we sit there and we watch the games. We're all these armchair quarterbacks. We think it's really easy, but you know, he he doesn't have uh, eyes behind his head. He's got to diagnose a defense and get into the right checks and make audibles at the light line of scrimmage and go through his reads and his progressions, all while having to know where 11 guys are on the field defensively all at the same time. It's really, really tough to do, but it just kind of feels like right now – it kind of feels like last year, right? Where every every time the Colts take a sack, you're you're holding your breath and you're wondering, okay, we took a sack, but are we going to get the ball back? You know, that's that's where the Colts were last year at times with Matt Ryan. It kind of feels like that's where they're at right now with Gardner Minshew. So taking taking good care of the football, protecting it with two hands in the pocket, that's that's certainly paramount now going forward for uh, for this Colts offense that has suffered eight turnovers that have led to 34 points of the opposition in the last two games. You know, one thing that has jumped out to me Matt is that you know Shane Steichen is not only a, a new coach with the Colts he is a first year head coach he's never been you know I'm not telling anybody stuff they don't know but to me with each week he just looks the part like he looks pretty confident he looks in control he looks pretty composed he doesn't look and I'm not talking about the, the I'm just talking like the optics the optics totally. are that he looks like a guy that that like is completely comfortable being where he is and in control of the moment now having said all of that this might be a test for him a little bit in the fact that the Colts are coming off a game that many including their own owner have kind of insinuated at the end was taken from them beyond their control, even though they put themselves in a bad position. How do you think this is another measuring stick? How has Shane Steichen handled that in terms of the the balance of dwelling on or talking about those two penalties and also turning the page and saying, old yeah. news, we got to get on to the next? No, it's a really good question, and this is the first time the Colts have really been kind of put into this position, at least this year, under Shane Steichen. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've lost two games in a row. You feel like you got hosed to a degree, although, you know, to your point, like I just said, it's there. There was a lot of self-infliction in that game last Sunday, but it's still a game where you should have won, and up until you know, 15 seconds to go, you had the game in hand. Um, and he talked about it this week. You know, you're, you're seven games in. You're kind of at the midway point of the season. You know, this week and next week kind of represent the halfway point of the season. 
you're three and four. The Saints are three and four. This is your last home game now for a while. You know, after this Sunday, you're only going to have one more home game in the next month. It doesn't come until the Sunday after Thanksgiving when they take on the uh, the Buccaneers. So four of your next five games are on the road. You got a trip to Carolina. You got a trip to Germany in there. There's some adversity. Um, and, you know, this is the type of year, time of year, I should say, where, you know, you can go one way or another. You know, to me, this kind of feels like the put-up or shut-up bowl for both of these teams. You know, these teams are both coming to this game, three and four. Uh, they both lost back-to-back games. It just feels like you're either going to go one direction or another with this game coming up on Sunday. That's how I feel, and I think that's how the guys in the locker room feel about it, too. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joins us, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, the last two weeks, there have been flashes from Alec Pierce. He's had his highest percentage of targets since week three in that win over Baltimore, and has had some nice catches in that stretch. From your vantage point, and I want to make sure I'm fair with this, was the bar at a low point for what the Colts need or want to see week to week for Alec Pierce, that these last two weeks are shining because of that bar, or are you seeing real steps forward over these last two, even in losses, to where, okay, maybe there is something there with Pierce? Well, I, I think I think what you see across the board within this offense, it's pretty democratic. A lot of guys get involved. I mean, in the last two games, I think Minshew has completed passes to seven different receivers. I know it's at least six. And you know, you're seeing that be spread out a little bit. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's being used more as a as a target in the passing game. He's got 11 catches on the season, by the way, so I think that factors into it too. But you know, when you when you talk about a guy that's taken that step from from year one to year two, you don't want to you want to see improvement. You want to see increase in production. And, you know, the the numbers this year in terms of just overall catches and targets haven't been there for Alec, but they're going to other places, which should not diminish his role and his contribution to the offense because, you know, he's allowing other guys to, to step up, get open, and you know, kind of fill that void. You know, I don't look at it in terms of, oh, my gosh, Alec Pierce is having a horrible game because – or a horrible season, I should say, because this offense – is on fire right now. I mean, you look at it, they're scoring 25 points per game. Uh, the running game is, is pretty much close to back to full strength with Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss, if, and, you know, assuming Moss can play on Sunday. Uh, you got the offensive line bouncing back. You got all these explosive plays the last three weeks. Uh, it'd be one thing if, if you said this offense is really struggling because Alec Pierce is struggling, but that's not the case. Josh Downs is having a tremendous rookie season, right? He had his first 100-yard receiving game last Sunday. So it'd be one thing if, if yeah, the Colts were struggling to score points and they were just really you know, kind of arduous on offense, and, and you look at it and say a big reason why is because of Pierce. Well, Pierce is just kind of going within the opportunities that, that are coming to him and you know most of his opportunities come on the deep ball and I think you're seeing that with you know more time on task and synergy coming from Gardner Minshew you're seeing that I think across the board with Minshew and all these receivers but I'm not panicked at all about you know the the lack of targets and uh, you know Pierce is kind of up and down nature to this point I think all of that sort of comes and that's that's the nature of this offense within this season some some Sundays Pierce is going to have you know, four catches for 75 yards, and then there's there's going to be other times where he has one catch for a deep ball for 38, or three catches for you know a couple of uh, medium range uh, completions and a couple of first downs. You know, for like 
25 yards. So it's, it's one of those things where it's just sort of ebb and flow. And, you know, Pierce is going to you know make those plays when they come to him because they've got a lot of guys around him making plays. And Pittman for the 75-yard catch for a touchdown. Down this great season. Again, Taylor in the backfield. So not at all panicked about what you're seeing from that uh, second-year wide receiver. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, Matt. Josh Downs can play, right? And Reggie Wayne throughout the process apparently is the one that said, like, look, this guy can play. Yeah. Now, the thing to me, and I wanted you to opine on this because you, you know, you're around it and, and you see these guys just kind of in the way they approach things. Josh Downs is a guy that, from a familial standpoint, the NFL is not new to him. You know, he has family members that were involved in the NFL. He's been, he has seen big time football play well before a lot of guys that are first getting their taste of it. And to me, you can see that because kind of like what what I said with Shane Steichen, Josh Downs doesn't seem to be a guy that at any point this year the moment was ever too big for him. And there are some guys, understandably so, that that is the case. But the acclimation period for him has been just immediate. How much of that is just the fact that he's been prepared for this for a long time in terms of the culture in which he came up? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it. He talked about that, you know, at the beginning of the season during training camp. He just has like this sixth sense about him you know, to, to play football, to understand uh, leverage on his routes, um, route combinations, uh, and also give him credit too because he's you know built up a really good rapport with you know two different quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson first, and now Gardner Minshew here. And I think he's averaging like seven targets a game in games where Minshew receives a lion's share of the reps at quarter back so those two really kind of trust one another and um you know again he just has like this ability to to know where to go with the football um know where to you know kind of sit you know when to extend routes he just has this this really good high football iq about him and i like the fact that the colts right now they're not treating him as if he's just a slot wide receiver you know he right now he's just a playmaker and the Colts are doing a really good job, creative job, and give Shane Steichen credit for this, of moving him around the offense. I think he kind of joked after the game. He's like, I've never been in motion more in my life than I was on Sunday against the Browns. A lot of moving sideways you know, from you know from east to west, uh, pre-snap at the line of scrimmage. So it's really, really encouraging what they're getting out of him. Um, like I said, his first 100-yard receiving game, he's just a playmaker, a guy that can line up in the slot, but also they can trust him to line up out wide and still win those one-on-one matchups. And that's what the Colts had to do last week. I think I said it on this show. They got a win against press man, and they did, you know, you know, organically with their ability, but also, you know, again, going in motion, lining up in stacks and bunches. They got free releases last Sunday, and they're going to have to do the same thing again this Sunday because um, the Saints, just like the Browns, they play a high percentage of press man-to-man, and Gardner Minshew is going to have to go you know, quickly with the football to places to open receivers. By the way, speaking of sixth sense like Josh Downs has, you've seen the movie The Sixth Sense, right, Matt? It's probably oh, been yeah. a while, but you've seen it, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. How, how far into the movie were you, spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it in the 30 years since it's been out, uh, <laughs> how far into the movie were you before you realized and caught on that Bruce Willis was actually one of the dead people? I mean, at the very end. Yeah. I mean, I, I got fooled like everybody else. You? <laughs> I, I think that's right. And then you look back, right, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, how did I not see it, right? I mean, like, you can't unsee it once you know. Right. But, but that's the brilliance of the movie. And then 
um, M. Night Shalaman or however you say his name. Shyamalan. Shyamalan. The, the problem is then he, he got too cutesy, right? <laughs> he got too cutesy in every movie he was trying to outthink everybody. Yeah, I try to have like some sort of underlying storyline. Right. That lady in the water out. movie is the biggest garbage I've ever seen in my life. Well, also, too, like The Sixth Sense is one of those movies, and maybe you disagree, but it's one of those movies where you you you, you tip of the cap to the producer and the director, like good movie, but it's one of those movies like you only need to see once. Like I don't need to see that again, right? Because of the because of the nature of the story. But it. But I will tell you though, it was great, right? I mean, let's be real. Oh yeah, it was great. Um, okay, so speaking of that, back to the. We'll go back to the Colts now, Matt. I promise. Um, <laughs> you and I've talked a lot about in the past. You know, in the morning show in particular, I remember the Colts were getting ready to play the Raiders, and we have talked openly about the fact that you and I really had a great respect for Derek Carr just as a leader and as a quarterback. But yet it seems like New Orleans also is kind of trying to find their footing. From what you've been basically able to figure out in watching them, but more so with what the Colts are saying, what kind of team is New Orleans bringing here to Lucas Oil Stadium, and what do the Colts need to be aware of? Yeah, they're they're kind of this enigma. I mean, they are totally. Yeah, just kind of sniffing around on them and doing research and, and digging up some stuff uh, over the weekend and then early part of this week. You know, they really don't even know uh, themselves who they are. You know, there's a lot of miscommunication on offense, and you know, guys like Michael Michael Thomas and Derek Carr and Alvin Kamara. They've been they've been asked, they've been interviewed. Like, what's what's going on? Like, why are you guys only scoring 19 points per game? Right? Why are you guys why do why do you guys only have 12 touchdowns on the season? You got too much talent uh, on this offense. The offensive line's pretty good. You've got Derek Carr who's been in the NFL for nine years. Thomas is there. Olave's there. They've got uh, Moreau at tight end. Um, they've got Johnson coming back at tight end. Like this, there's too much firepower here to be kind of like middle of the road offensively and mediocre in a mediocre division there in the NFC South. And no one really has a good answer. And Offensive coordinators on the hot seat a little bit. Dennis Allen is is getting heated up a little bit down there in his second year already as the head coach. You know the the really bad analogy that I've used this week on on New Orleans is like a dead car battery. You know it's there. All it all it needs is like a little little jump start, and that's what the Colts have to be afraid of a little bit. Is that if they come into this game um, at Lucas Oil Stadium and they start to hit and they start to get a little momentum and they figure out some of their timing issues and miscommunication issues, they've got all the makings to put up 30, 35 points per game and make life on you really, really difficult. So um, that that's what they're trying to figure out this week. Their defense is, I would say, not as good statistically as the Browns, but they're still top four on total defense. They're fourth against the pass. They're pretty good against the run. They really don't have any whole lot of weaknesses um, in terms of personnel um, in, in all three layers of the defense. So it's just a solid team that I think should be better than three and four. But just like the Colts, like I said, I mean, they've lost back-to-back games and they feel like they're kind of teetering, just like the Colts are teetering going into this game, you know, trying to figure out who they are and if this is a team that's capable of making a push, you know, to position themselves to be, you know, in the playoff mix uh, in the early part of December. Our conversation with Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, is presented by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, there are teams all across the league that value cornerback or devalue it in a way where, okay, we're willing to have young guys out there or we're willing to be not as deep, but we have to win at a very high level in the trenches. We need to make sure that there is not a ton of processing time for quarterbacks. We need to get to the quarterback as often as possible, particularly on the edges and with our de- defensive tackles. 
with that said, I don't want to get into Daryl Baker Jr. because we know he struggled. We know they picked on him. Cleveland did last week. If you're down Juju Brents and you're at a position group at corner where it's thin, how much more pressure and needs for success and wins in the trenches is put on this Colts defensive line? No, really, really good question. Really good thought. And it's, you know, it's going to be paramount and it's tougher without Grover Stewart. You know, you didn't have him last week. You're not going to have him until, you know, probably early December. You know, he's serving that six game suspension. This is going to be game two of that. Um, so guys like Taven Bryan and now Adetama Adabare have to step up. I don't know if Eric Johnson's going to be able to play. It didn't look good for him after the game in terms of his ability to kind of walk off the field, getting injured in the fourth quarter on Sunday against Cleveland. Um, the one, the one thing you have to wonder is EJ Speed. EJ Speed is so doggone good, and Shaq Leonard's starting to ramp up here a little bit. He played about seventy-two percent of the snaps, and for my money, he looked the best he's looked all season last week. You know, he's he's running around, he's um, planning quicker, you know, I think just reacting better and faster. In terms of from, from what I saw with my own two eyes, he looks like a guy that's that's ramping up, that's that's trying to get to where he was a couple of years ago before all these injuries. So he talked today about, you know, really, really being disappointed that he's still being taken off the field and still being on a somewhat of a pitch count and, you know, going off the field in some of these high leverage situations. So if you continue to trust Shaq Leonard and EJ Speed, I mean, just put him on the field. He is he's just so good right now. You're not taking anything away from where Shaq Leonard is and, and what he's been able to establish in terms of being a playmaker throughout the course of his career. But maybe it, it it's a long winded answer of saying Maybe you experiment with going with three linebackers on the field, knowing you're kind of banged up and depth is is being tested right now at corner. I just think EJ Speed is is good enough to have you know rely on him in a couple of different different situations. I mean, obviously if you're if you're playing three linebackers, you're playing base, but you would certainly trust EJ Speed to cover a tight end. You would trust him to cover a, a back out of the backfield in the passing game. I just don't think there's a whole lot of drop-off with with having Kenny Moore play on the outside and then leaving EJ Speed in there when you go three linebackers if the Colts feel like they're they're comfortable enough doing that, knowing you might be down Juju Brents and cornerback right now is really, really thin. It's being tested in terms of depth. So, Matt, when you watch the sixth sense – at the end of it, you go, how did I not see it coming? I, it, like, that was so obvious, and then boom, there's your plot. When you look at the Colts' season thus, thus far, and you look at where maybe they haven't been able to get footing or get consistently you know, where they want to be, what is the area of this Colts' team that, when you, if you were to go back and look at the movie of the Colts' season so far – is the one that you go, you know what, I didn't realize that was what was holding them back, but clearly the area is blank. What hmm. is it? I, I, mean, I think two, one on both sides of the ball. I mean, obviously it, was, it wasn't a problem until it became a major problem against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's turnovers. I mean, Gardner Minshew had been so clean. The Colts as a team had been so clean, right? And, and three wins on the season, their first three wins of the year prior to Jacksonville, no turnovers that led to some clean ball and you know the Colts having a chance to win and they did um you know the the three field goal the, the five field goal game I should say by Matt Gay not turning the ball over against the Ravens allowed them to stay in that game and to give Matt Gay a chance to win the football game but now here you are 
you know, the last two games, eight turnovers. As I said, those eight giveaways have led to 34 points of the opposition. You are just not going to win any games. So the Colts have turned Colts have turned it over uh, four times in consecutive games for the first time since 2010. So. That's one of those things where they got to get that cleaned up. It's rare that it happens, but here they are. It's kind of ironic that they've turned it over four uh, four times in a row and back to back games uh, with with a quarterback like Gardner Minshew, who's historically you know clean and smart with the football and and knows where to go with it. So they got to get that cleaned up on offense and then on defense. It's a good defense, Jake. But right now, it's still kind of waiting to take that next step from good to great or from great to elite, whatever you want to call it. Because right now, again, they're being put into some bad situations here lately. But sudden change is called sudden change for a reason because you're kind of scrambling. As a defensive player, I can attest, when your offense turns the ball over, you're thinking to yourself, oh, oh blank, here we go again. Right now i got to go out and play defense again. You know, you're you're giving the ball uh, away into the opposition in plus territory, so they're already kind of in, in striking distance to score. But it's incumbent upon this defense to take that next step to either get themselves off the field or to limit the damage to only field goals. And they've given up a lot of touchdowns the last two games following sudden change. So they've got to get that cleaned up. And then, obviously, it speaks for itself. You just can't let P.J. Walker and the Browns offense go 80 yards when the game's on the line. I know – you know the penalties you know aided them and and whatever but they just can't there's no there's no circumstance where PJ Walker all due respect to him he was a nice guy here i enjoy talking to him but he he just can't lead an offense 80 yards in 3 minutes and and score the game winning touchdown with 15 seconds and that's been that's been a recurring nightmare. You know, it's kind of fitting here. We're five days away from Halloween. The Colts have allowed uh, at home the last and, and since the start of 2022, they've allowed four 75 uh, plus yard uh, scoring drives in the fourth quarter to to lose games by one point uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium. And obviously, it played out last Sunday. So that that's that's where they've got to get things cleaned up. And you know, they're a good defense, but the great defenses don't let that happen. And that's what the Colts are striving for. Matt, is there any I'll use the word risk for lack of a better phrase, but danger, whatever. Look, Gardner Minshew, we've talked about what we think of Gardner Minshew and, and you know, maybe his ceiling, but at the same time, the fact that he is a pro's pro. But since you are now riding out the rest of the year with Gardner Minshew and you're seeing the evolution of Josh Downs, who they're finding in space, and you're seeing the use of Jonathan Taylor, um, and you know, maybe getting Alec Pierce now more involved, is there any possibility of a let let down's the wrong word danger next year when you know you're handing the keys back over to Anthony Richardson how similar schematically what you're doing with Gardner Minshew does that translate to what you would do to utilize the skill set of Anthony Richardson and it, it will it be a smooth transition or is there the chance that next year now everybody's got to completely learn a totally different style of what is being asked of their contribution uh, it's a good question. I don't think it's going to be all that steep because you know, the Colts have already done it like two or three times already. To be honest with you, yeah, in short bursts for sure, right? Yeah, I mean that. Well, they think about it. They did it at the beginning of April, and I know Josh Downs wasn't here because he wasn't drafted yet. But I mean, the, conceptually, right? You're, you you put in an offense. Jim Bob Cooter's hired. Shane Steichen's hired. Uh, free agency happens, right? Um, uh, Gardner Minshew comes in, and they have to install. 
at least part of the offense, right, the nuts and bolts of the offense, just to, to be able to go through meetings and have um, some, some you know, preliminary OTAs, if you will. Um, so then Anthony Richardson gets, gets uh, drafted. Um, they start tailoring the offense specifically to him, uh, knowing that we want him to start. He's got to earn it, but, but he has to, 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 to go out and, and play well. But we are going to tailor some, some things on offense to, to his strengths uh, coming from college. And then in training camp, it was kind of like two different offenses going on simultaneously, right? One day Gardner Minshew would get the lion's share of the reps. Another day it would be Anthony Richardson. So it was like little subtleties within the offense, but the offense is the offense. They just change and kind of tweak it and massage it, if you will, based on who's playing quarterback and playing to those uh, to, to, to that quarterback strengths, I should say. Um, so I don't think it's going to be all that dramatic when Anthony Richardson comes back in the spring. Hopefully that's the case. But I think the offense is the offense in terms of the terminology and the overall scheme. It's just calling plays that are suited to have one quarterback succeed over another in terms of what they're trying to do and put stress on on the opposing defense, if that makes sense. Have you been finding yourself more going to Yats to prepare for this game or more going to the Rathskeller to prepare for the Germany trip? <laughs> Which is... I, I, I'm more of a I'm more of a German German beer guy than I am a. a, a <laughs> you got to be dangerous at the Rascaler, man. You got to be careful, right? You got to be careful that you know. Oh, those 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 what do they call the Hefeweizens? Those bad boys work now. You oh only no, need one of those. I know it's like, and it comes in a silo, which is the best part, right? <laughs> That's right. Those guys are the best, man. Those guys at the Rascaler are the absolute best. Matt Taylor wedding, again. I had my wedding reception at the Rascaler. So Did you really? I, I can attest. Hey, Shout out to them. Derek Schultz had his bachelor party. They started at the Rathskeller, and that was a real bad idea, right? Oh, you're not leaving the Rathskeller if you're starting at the Rathskeller. <laughs> I can tell you that. You ain't kidding, Matt. You ain't kidding. <laughs> All right, again, uh, Colts Roundtable, you're going to hear at 6 o'clock Friday night, getting you set for the weekend of football. And then, of course, pregame starting at 9 o'clock coverage on this radio station before Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, Lara Overton have the call. Colts and Saints Sunday from Lucas Oil Stadium. Matt, appreciate it. Yep, my, pl- my pleasure, guys. Be good. Uh, I'll tell you what. Appreciate it, Matt. Rascaler's great. I mean, you it's go awesome. there, you get like a nice night, the elect playing, Mike and the boys there in the in- you gotta go to the, the indoor bar part and it's just the best. Few places best. do it better in the city for live music, great atmosphere, uh, and great drinks than the Rascaler. You are kidding, man. Absolutely, absolutely great. Uh, also great last night, Pacers. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love. Hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Take a look back at that next. If you're just joining the show, where have you been? Here's to recap what we've done so far in the first, oh, I don't know, 80% or so of today's show. Uh, We found out that Eddie drinks chai tea on a regular basis because he thought it was decaffeinated. Not regular basis. How often? If I had to put it monthly, I would say three or four. You've had it twice this week. I know, twice this week. Did you find yourself jumpy? No. But Eddie uh, said, and I quote, one of the greater moments so far in the history of this program. Appreciate that. Uh, I don't drink 
or, or it's not caffeinated. That's why I drink it. It's just tea. It I has said, sugar, but yeah. not caffeine. Okay, well, like, do you, do you think so? Do you think people are drinking the chai tea for the flavor? Like they're they're drinking it for the for the boost, right? Have you been to England? No. You, you go around England. It looks like this outside every day, except for that it's raining. And and literally everybody in England is drinking tea because they need a boost because it's like forty and raining and they got to wake up. So there there is sixty milligrams per serving, right? Yes. We should have a, a chai tea 65, challenge. Sixty five. Yeah. Okay, so we should bring in like a huge thing of chai tea and have you drink it and drink it until you get jumpy. <laughs> And then we'll find out just how, how much it takes for you uh, to feel we could the effects. Just, we could just cut out the middleman have an IV drip the entire show. <laughs> That's exactly just, just right. There we go. There we go. Uh, also, Rick Carlisle, the Pacers announcing, agreeing to a contract extension, signing a contract extension with the Pacers. No big surprise there. I, you know, Carlisle is one of those guys when when they were – and gosh, you know, it's, it's so – easy to to forget and i don't mean that as a knock on the poor guy but when they made the transition from you know nate bjorker and they had for a year and i think they just realized that that did not work exactly (laughs) and so they you know carlisle was leaving dallas after winning a championship there and i think 11 years in dallas but i think that his if you were to ask rick carlisle or even people around the pacers organization i think they just kind of felt like he was a, a pacer guy through and through and it's worked well, obviously, in having him oversee kind of the rebuild, the retool of the roster. And last night we saw that. 143 points. That is the most for a team on opening night in the association since 1990. It is the fifth highest scoring total, I believe, in Pacer NBA history. Um, and they did it with a very balanced attack. Eight guys in double figures led by Bruce Brown. And again, if you're just joining the program, I'm going to give this disclaimer one more time. Um. I want to be very clear, and I want this to be an all-encompassing for the season, uh, like, ahead of time, an apology, okay? Bruce Brown comes from the Denver Nuggets to the Indiana Pacers, and he was brought here because of his defensive prowess and his ability to hit open shots as they come to him without necessarily being orchestrated through him. His name is Bruce Brown, okay? Okay. There is a similar player that was on very important teams for the San Antonio Spurs by the name of Bruce Bowen. Kind of looks the same, similar size, um, similar style of play, similar reason that they're on the floor. I will invariably and inevitably, without question, and I haven't done it yet today, and I'm thrilled over that, but there are certain things that I have mental hurdles about. Dustin Dopirak. Is it Dustin Dopirak or Dustin Dopirak? Always forget. Zach Osterman. Zach Osterman, Zach Osterman. I always forget. No disrespect to either gentleman. I like both. I respect both of them. I just have a mental hurdle there. I have a mental hurdle when it comes to Bruce Brown that I am going to inevitably call him Bruce Bowen for the vast majority of the season. If you're okay with this, as chairman of the board, Eddie, at some point in time in the next couple of days, I don't care what it is, it can be a party sound, it could be an alarm sound. Whatever you want it to be, I want you to have it ready when it happens. A buzzer sound, right? Yeah. Yes. And here's the thing. I mean, my cousin is a Bowen. My previous co-host was a Bowen. Like you sure. would think that, like maybe that's why Bowen is like in my like in emblazed in my mind. I don't know. But last night, Bruce Brown was really good for Indiana. 
Um, and I think the thing that was the most impressive and the most important for the Pacers last night, if you look, for example, at Kuzma for Washington, and we talked about this earlier, and I don't mean this to pick on Kyle Kuzma, but the reality is this. Stephen Holder and I were talking about my proverbial 2025 guy, a guy that just scores a lot of points on teams that are destined to win like 20 games because somebody has to score. Now, Kuzma's a talented player. Don't get me wrong. He was in L.A. Um, it, and then has, has obviously been seen. You know, there was rumors different he was linked role. to the Pacers for, the long, for a long time. Different role. Different role sure. in L.A. for what he's being asked to be in Washington. He was 9 of 18 from the floor, but not a single assist, two rebounds. So basically, he's giving you 25 points, and that's really all he's contributing. If you look at Indiana last night and the guys that scored for them, Bruce Brown had 24. He needed 11 shots to get there. You know, Tyrese Halliburton had 20. He needed 16 shots to get there. Benedict Matherin had 18. He only needed 15 shots to get there. And then after that, the efficiency goes elsewhere. You know, Buddy Heald, 14 points. He only took nine shots. Andrew Nimhard, 12 points. He only took nine shots. The efficiency of which guys are scoring. Jalen Smith, five of six. They had eight guys in double figures. And the danger that can be presented in that, Jimmy, in basketball is when you have teams that have that kind of depth in the pucker-up moments, in the game-is-on-the-line moments, in the tension-can-be-cut-with-a-knife moments, then sometimes teams like that have six or seven guys that are all like, but which one of us is the guy now? You become crippled by options. Correct. That's exactly right. And in the Pacers' case, the good news is there is no doubt in anybody's mind in those moments who's getting the ball, right? Yeah. No doubt. It is Tyrese Halliburton's team, and he still has the ability to get others involved. You thought for certain, and now did you did you place a an investment, if you will, on the Ob Toppin first? alley-oop deal uh, for first basket that's the best we could get right so first field goal of the game was going to be obi Toppin. i i called my shot and said it was going to be an oop but any basket would have done the trick and that did not take place right? did not work okay. now jake you got to remember like i'm not talking about oh hey i just lost 100 bucks because i decided to risk it all on one shot at the start of the nba season the odds are always very high on those because you're basically taking a guesswork shot at, hey, who is going to score first? Like, you're looking at plus 400 or better odds. So it was like five to win 45 or $55. We're not risking the house on a first basket bet. If you are doing that, 1-800-9 with it. That's right. A uh, loudest ovation of the game last night came when TJ McConnell checked in. He only played six minutes. He was 2-2 two two from the floor. He did TJ McConnell things, right? Yep. Scored four, dished out a couple of assists, had two steals in six minutes. By the way, one of those shots he shot off the top of the backboard. Don't know if you saw that. Really? Yeah, one of the shots hit the top of the backboard and then dropped in. I must have been busy chatting then or getting gummy bears. I do eat a lot of gummy <laughs> bears at the patient game. I'm not lying about that. My biggest positive takeaway. Maybe you and Steven were just rehashing your sentiments about Clemson, Miami. Could have we were talking been. about 20 for 25 guys, 2025 guys, right? My biggest takeaway from this game is that in terms of what does a roster look like when you add pieces that you want to be key contributors and it's their first time playing with a core that you have established, how do they look? They looked as efficient, as high level as you possibly could have hoped for with one caveat. 
it was the Wizards who were probably going to win 20 games. Right. And even in a two-game sample size, you can't accurately say, yeah, this is what this team is going to be this year. Though I will admit, you're going to get a barometer check on Saturday because you're in Cleveland with a team that is a playoff team that is somebody you're going to have to either leapfrog or battle with throughout the course of the season in the Central even if it is Milwaukee's crown more than likely because it's Damon Giannis there. Right. That, that is a better measuring stick for you on Saturday on the road in Cleveland for where is this team at the start of the year? Not I, to mention, I believe this game on Saturday counts towards the in-season play-in. I don't know how that works. Does it? I thought it didn't start until November. I'm confused by that. Are you sure? I have to double check, but I I will confirm. How does that work, Eddie? Can you explain to me like I'm a second grader, which so, that part's not hard, the fu- how, how the playoff the in-season tournament works. So as I understand it, they are broken down into different uh, groups. The Pacers are in a group that features uh, the 76ers, the Cavaliers, the Raptors, and the Pistons. Okay. And you play those five or those other four teams, and depending on how you do, will you will either be the top of your pool uh, and you are – Allow, or you're qualified into the in-season play and tournament part of it, but if you don't, uh, then you will uh, just play two other teams to get you to 82 games on the season. And that play and tournament is, I think, like the first or second week of December. It says it's on NBA's website. It says it starts on November 5th. There you go, November so, no, 3rd yeah. is group play. Oh, really? It's basically like Jake. They, does, does anybody understand it? what the in-season tournament's going to be? Yeah. Not fully, but the, the group. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new and everything in between the group Do the players understand <laughs> i hope so the group aspect they're borrowing is like world cup or champions league style format if you are the best of your group or one of the best teams right. of your group Understood. you get to play in the tournament no, if not you're just playing games and, and to what fill do you get what do you get if you win the tournament a shiny trophy do they get like a little like the there little is a trophy, trophy with the guy like shooting a free throw like they like with a marble base they got like broadable trophy making it right I don't now. Know. I don't know. That's probably not a big enough. In season tournament, there's there's a there's a logo of the trophy. And oh, by the way, it. there are betting odds on who can win the in season tournament as well as who will be the in season tournament MVP. That 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 trophy that they have looks like a combination of the Larry O'Brien Trophy and the St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL's logo, right? Yes, I see it. <laughs> Does it not? Like, they have a trophy that looks kind of like the Larry O'Brien trophy and kind of like it might be the logo for, like, some sort of a, like, the Falcon car from the 1970s. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day will take Stephon Diggs as an anytime touchdown scorer for the Buffalo Bills for Thursday Night Football. We'll also take Josh Allen. Over one and a half total touchdown passes in that game. And at the risk of Eddie trying to jump in and, you know, throw a jab my way for this, I think I'm going to take the over 43 and a half. Both teams have their struggles, but I feel like we get a response game from Buffalo and this ends up covering late in terms of your oval total. So over 43 and a half total points there in NBA. 
Over 22.5 total points for Anthony Davis in Lakers' Suns action. And over 33.5 points plus assists for Damian Lillard in Bucks Sixers tonight. Eddie, you said you have stuff. Do you yeah, still? Yeah, I right. do. I will take Josh Allen over one and a half passing touchdowns. I think he'll be able to light it up in that secondary uh, tonight. Nice. Um, and then in terms of rushing props, I was looking at Rashad White. Efficiency doesn't look good. That defensive line for Buffalo banged up, but I just can't. I can't take it, even though it is 43 and a half. So uh, in that game, I will be just writing Josh Allen over one and a half passing touchdowns. And then in the NBA game, uh, specifically zeroing in on the Phoenix Suns, I will take Eric Gordon over 14 and a half points. Uh, no uh, Bradley Beal or Devin Booker. Got 16 attempts. In, game, in the first game of the year, he missed a lot of open shots, so I like a nice little bounce-back game for EG. All right. By the way, here, here's my wager of the day. You ready? Ooh. It's a, it's a this feels definitively real. This is a futures wager. Oh, futures, okay. okay. Love a good futures wager. So I've talked probably at nauseum, I realize, about the road trip that I do with my buddy, right? hmm So the way we divvy that up every year is I buy the plane tickets, Byron and I fly somewhere, and then he has points with his company. He travels a lot for work. So he gets the rental car, and then he gets the first two nights of hotels, and I buy the third. So in the end, I buy plane ticket for two, one night of hotel. He picks up rental car and two nights of hotels. It usually balances out. Byron just emailed me. Now, our hero, who twice on this trip forgot his wallet, and once on this trip uh, this year, <laughs> lost the rental car keys, although we eventually found them. Uh, this is the second time this has happened. And so I, I guess fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? You were allegedly uh, hiding the keys, right? No, I did not hide the keys. No, he, he, he. Who's in charge of the keys, the driver or the passenger? Driver. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No further questions. Uh, Byron just sent me a, a, an email with an apology. Turns out that our hero, when he was renting the rental car, now this is a road trip. Mm -hmm. The whole purpose of the road trip is we fly somewhere, we rent a car, and we drive home with no game plan. Rick Carlisle talked on the morning show, the newly extended for the Pacers head coach Rick Carlisle, talked on the morning show about the fact that I had reached out to him because we were in Annapolis, and on the spur of the moment, we're like, let's just go to Charlottesville. There's zero world where Charlottesville, Virginia is en route between Annapolis and Indianapolis, right? But it's a road trip. The whole point is, let's just go. Southwest would even laugh at you. No, right. we're not redirecting you there. Correct. No, sorry. You went Footloose. on a toll, didn't you? Footloose and fancy free. Well, we knew we were doing tolls. We had the easy pass, right? Sure. Byron just emailed me to say that he regrets to inform me that he forgot to get the unlimited mileage option. <laughs> we just got the invoice. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. Looks like I forgot to do this again. So my futures wager for you guys is next year on the trip, guess who's booking the rental car? Jay Query. You think? Oh, no, never mind. Can can I throw out a stat of the day also? The stat of the day is that 40 cents a mile for over 1,000 miles is rather expensive. Go ahead. Just behind that, second stat of the day, second place holder. Zach Moss is second in rushing yards in the NFL. Correct. If the rushing title was given out today, it would go to Christian McCaffrey by 75 yards. It's pretty impressive. Yes, it is. And what will be more impressive is if three weeks from now he's still in the top five. I would agree, yeah. 
bigger problems there if that's the case because you can clearly see the roles starting to switch where clearly the workhorse back is going to be the workhorse back. And you just have, I mean, the reality is that you know Taylor, you can utilize probably in more ways than you sure. can Zach Moss. Doesn't right? mean he can't be a valuable contributor. Still, the idea of having him in a competent back, change of pace or otherwise, is great for this Colts offense. But yeah, it should be JT's show uh, tomorrow on the program. By the way, and John is on remote. Is that right, James? Where is John? Do we know? Uh, Kip's Pub. John is at Kip's Pub. So if you are out and about right now, you got plenty of time to meet up with JMV, watch the show live, have yourself a cold beer. Um, Tomorrow on the program, we're going to do something new, and this might be – we'll find out. Do you think this will work, Eddie? I think it'll work. We're going to do a thing called the two-minute drill where we're going to basically span the globe. In the course of like 10 minutes, we're going to send you to five different spots by interviewing five different people for two minutes each about sports going on in their area. I'm thinking maybe somebody about the World Series, maybe – I don't know, maybe we'll try to get somebody um, from Cleveland since the Pacers play the Cavs next. We could probably touch on what what the heck's going on with Sean Payton in Denver. I mean, just kind of, you know, in Colorado, like, are they still relevant or are they not? We'll do all of that uh, tomorrow on the program. Kevin Bowen will join us as well. We'll probably talk a little bit of Pacers and we will continue. Um, now he has, he goes back in his cage now. Correct. But again, uh, Petey, is that what we decided? Is it Petey, Petey the Pacers Pink Petey, Flamingo. Petey the Pacers believe, Pink Flamingo. With who will join us in studio after every Pacers win this year. So he goes back in his cage, and then we will find out whether or not he joins us. Uh, well, he will. But again, when he joins us again, we shall find out. Uh, John's up next. You guys have a wonderful Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow at noon. It's Quarian Company here on The Fan.